Hey guys, welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by KillCliff.com. Go to KillCliff.com and use Survival10 to save 10% on your next order. That's Survival10. I'm a big fan of their CBD infused drink. I also like their whole suite of drinks, the Ignite, the Endure, the Recover, because they don't have all the crap most energy drinks have. All natural, no sugar, uh, all the electrolytes and vitamins that you need infused. Um, make sure you check out KillCliff.com and use Survival10 to save 10% on your next order. Our podcast is also brought to you by KC Highlights. That's H-I-L-I-T-E-S. If you guys have seen our YouTube channel, if you haven't checked it out, you should check it out and subscribe. Our last video we did was called Light Tactics, and we covered all of the lights from KC Highlights that are on my Dodge Ram 2500. That's my go rig, and I want you guys to understand why you would use lights and what for what tactical purpose. Like, is it overlanding? Is it off-roading? Is it bugging out? Well, make sure you check them out. KC Highlights has a coupon code Philcraft, one word, where you could save 10% on your next checkout. I like those flex lights. I run those on the front of all my vehicles, including this Porsche Rally vehicle I'm going to build. It's going to be real cool. Philcraft, one word. Our podcast is also brought to you by TriarchSystems.com. That's T-R-I-A-R-C Systems.com. Use Philcraft, one word, to save 5% on your next build. I have the Tri-11, that's that double stack 9 mil. I also run my truck gun as a Triarch Systems, a 10-inch gun with a law tactical folder. If you're interested, interested in custom pistols, carbines, and rifles, make sure you check out TriarchSystems.com and use Philcraft, one word, to save 5% on checkout. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Dometic. I run a Dometic fridge inside of my uh, Go Rig. I have the uh, Dometic fridge and the battery tender that keeps it topped off. Uh, that's a rechargeable battery that you could tap into anytime. Really cool uh, battery source and energy source on the go, whether you're bugging out, you're overlanding, or just traveling with your family. Make sure you use Philcraft, one word for free shipping, at shop.dometic.com. Again, that's shop.dometic.com. Use Philcraft, one word, to save on free shipping. Hey, guys, I had the opportunity to meet up with my buddy Will. Will is a dog handler. He was actually a dog handler, uh, Cairo's dog handler, on the Bin Laden raid. Um, obviously, the Bin Laden raid uh, to kill or capture Osama Bin Laden was a huge deal. He's a, a Navy veteran, uh, medically retired, and he just wrote a book called No Ordinary Dog, highlighting the service and accomplishments of military working dogs that have saved me personally um, and also saved his life. It was a great podcast, uh, catching up with Will. I hope you guys enjoy. And uh, yeah, let's kick it off. Will, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know we, we had talked a little bit and um, you traveled from Texas, right? I did travel from Texas. How was that trip? It wasn't too bad. It was uh, I was a little curious to see how it would be, but... Uh... Things were a little busier than I thought. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. If you traveled 30 days ago, you would have been on like an empty plane. Probably. But now it seems everybody's forgotten about COVID-19. It seems like it's getting that way. It's like it's not even a thing now. Even the uh, TSA security guy, I think it was, or somebody said, hey, this is as busy as it's been in a while. Yeah. I noticed that when we were driving around Prescott. I'm like, man, there's everything looks normal. Yeah. Like people are back to work. People are in restaurants. I don't know if that's a good thing, but uh, oh well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, when I reached out to you and we started talking about being on the podcast, um, dogs have played a significant role in my life. So I knew 
you had started out and you were writing a book about your experiences as a dog handler um, and working with Cairo that I knew we had to get you on because we've talked to dudes like Mike Rutland who, you know, who uh, runs dogs now and a couple other guys in my network that run dogs. But you've done it for an extended period of time in your career in the Navy, right? I got to do it for a few deployments for about two to three years. Two to three years. Two to three years. And, you know, you started your Navy career, I'm assuming young like everybody else does. Yeah, right out of high school. Right out of high school. Yeah. Let's talk about that, man. Let's okay. talk about, like, what, lead us up to the point in which you went into the Navy. Were you from a military family? How, how did that get kicked off? My grandpa was in the Navy. My uncle was in the Army. I didn't, they never talked about it. Never, uh, I knew my grandpa was a CB, but they, neither one of them really talked about their service. Vietnam era, guys. Yeah, they never said anything about, you know, my, my uncle, or, or uh, he just never talked. He never said anything about it. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly what he did. Huh. But um, yeah, it would be around there. And my grandpa, he told me he was stationed in Alaska as a CB, but, and that was about as far as he got. And I'm not even sure if he told me, if somebody else might have told him. No, nobody really talked about their service. But um, huh. I just wanted to, I guess, serve my country since I was a kid. Um, probably around middle school, I decided I wanted to be a SEAL. I just, mm -hmm. I love the water. Was I there love, a movie or was there something oh, specific? It had to be Charlie Sheen, man. I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Except that I didn't, I didn't go because I couldn't swim. Well, uh, yeah, I just wanted to jump off of the Jeep and off dude, the bridge. Into that's the all water. I wanted yeah, to I mean, do. That's it. The rafters, the MP5 <laughs> SD, just, right. oh man. Definitely a huge part. But yeah, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to serve. I wanted to test myself and see if I would have took to make it through buds. You know, they say it's some of the hardest military training in the world. And it looked like a fun job to me. I wasn't a, uh, I didn't want to go to college. I didn't mm -hmm. have, and, you know, if I wanted to be a doctor, lawyer, some sort of schooling that I was passionate about, of course, but there was nothing that I was really drawn to except being a SEAL. I wanted to serve and I wanted to test myself, obviously. I wanted to see if I had what it took to be some of the best and the job was cool. So, um, yeah, that was my decision on why I wanted to be a SEAL specifically, I guess. You know, any any of the branches would have been great, but I just love the water. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm a really fast swimmer, but yeah. I'm, I'm real comfortable. You're comfortable I'm pretty comfortable. Water. Like under the, when I was in Buds, we got to do the 50-meter underwater swim. <laughs> the instructor, you always have, you know, safety instructors. Yeah. As I'm coming up, as I complete the 50-meter underwater swim, the instructor looks at me and he goes, you are the slowest <laughs> swimmer. I have ever seen <laughs> in my life. That's he's awesome. Like, he's like, but man, you, you passed, you nailed yeah. it. I'm like, all right, cool. So when you got in, you were calm, collected, and you could stay in for a longer period of time. I felt I was comfortable, real comfortable. But when it came to like the two mile ocean swims, yeah. uh, I needed some help. I could do the runs. I was good. So uh, my roommate, Jason Higgins, he was my roommate in Buds. He was a swimmer. He pushed me through the swims. So he would guide for me. <clears throat> but he was a slow runner. So when it came, when the, as the evolution got first, second, third phase, the times get faster and faster. Yeah. By the time we got to third phase, he would help me guide through the swim. So I would pass the times and we would help him. We'd get behind him and push him. <laughs> and we, you know, if you're a good dude, yeah. you know, by that time we're, we're pushing we're, everybody we're, to get yeah, there. If you, you've proven yourself, you deserve to be there. You're a good dude. Yeah. Just because you're a little slow on the run or I'm a little sucky at uh, guiding or swimming, yeah. we'll help each other out. And that's what we did. That's but, awesome. How old were you when you joined the Navy? 
I was 17 when I joined. I had to get my parents to sign that the waiver. That was me too. Yeah, man. that's nice. I love yeah. that. I love hearing that. People don't realize that because if you get your parents' permission, some people think that if you sign up, you can't join until you're 18, but that's not true. I was in the Army as an infantry guy for a period of time before I turned 18. So you were in the Navy as a 17-year-old. They had to sign the waiver. I remember having to yep. sit down and have the conversation with them. I remember my dad was cool with it. He was like, yeah, he was you know, proud, go serve. Um, Mama wasn't too proud. Well, wasn't too happy. Yeah. I mean, she was, she was probably happy. She was concerned. Mama, mama bears <laughs> are always like that. Yeah. She's worried, but it took a little more convincing, but they both, they knew when, as soon as I turned 18, it was, uh, they could tell I was going one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. It was happening. When you, when you joined the Navy so young, did you go straight into with a buds contract or did you have to do like some other job and then they migrated you over to that? At the time you had to have, a, they didn't have the seal rating. They came up with that while I was in, I should have had the buds contract. So yeah. a little message out there to people looking to sign up. Don't always trust your recruiter, huh? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I was a, I was a fairly smart kid, you know, if, um, maybe not the smartest person in class, but I was pretty smart. My recruiter convinced me to sign up for information technologist, I think it is, IT yeah. school yeah. For, uh, for submarines. But it, it was a $5,000 bonus. All I had to do was go through a little bit of harder school, and I had submarines in my contract, but they, she's like, no, no, it's fine. You will be able to go to BUDS. You just got to go through the school, and you'll, you'll get the money. And I figured, cool, I'm, I'm smart. I'll Maybe I'll get to learn something cool, and I'll make five grand, and... Yeah, no big no deal. No big deal. <laughs> and that wasn't the case. So I show up to boot camp in this, uh, I don't remember what week it was, pretty early on, obviously, is checking in. And, uh, they figured out this Navy chief, who was an old submariner himself, comes up to me and he's, uh, yeah, he informs me that submarines in IT school is not, maybe IT school is, but since I had the submarines in my contract, that disqualified me from going to BUDS. Because they are hurting so bad on people, right? Probably. Yeah. And then they want to retain you. Of course. And he probably knew, I mean, he's a chief. He'd been around quite a while. Yeah. You know, uh, he knows the deal. He probably like, you're, I'm a 17, 18 year old punk kid. Sure. You're going to go to Bud's kid. You you're going to make man. it. You're going to be a seal and you're going to go on to do great <laughs> things. How about this? How about I'm going to let you keep your submarine contract in great school and your money. And you're going to go on to have a really good Navy career as a submariner. And he would, I mean, I, I get it. Like he really, yeah. He's worried he, about his field. I get that. He's yeah. Passionate. That too. Yeah. yeah. Of course you want that. And I mean, I, or I go to buds and be one of the 80% that drop out and yeah. then just go be an undesignated seaman or whatever, you know, because, yeah. so he thought he was maybe helping me like, you know, securing your future, securing my future by going, <laughs> and he's like, I'm a submariner. It's a great job. IT school is good. You get a bonus and yeah. you know, you'll have a great career. And then, instead of going to buds and quitting. <laughs> yeah, and I get that. He's retaining smart dudes. He wants to keep the guys. And so, obviously, yeah, you know, you, submariners, you probably want some more submariners out there. You're probably hurting for numbers sometimes. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. How'd you get around this wagon wheel? Persistence. Really? I mean... It, so you didn't circumnavigate. You were in this. You were committed to it, so you figured out a way inside of it? I don't know exactly what I said to him, but I wouldn't be surprised if I said... It, I mean, I'm, I, obviously, I'm a 17, 18-year-old kid fresh out of boot camp. This is the Navy chief. You know, I'm probably a little nervous, and I just showed up. But I was probably either I'm going to Buzz or I would like to go home. Oh. And nothing wrong with serving my country and being in the Navy, but this is my passion. This is my yeah. – just like you. So you were adamant. 
You, I mean, yeah, it's, you find that thing in life that you're willing yeah. to die for. Absolutely. I don't have to get paid for this job. Yeah. And I, I, and I didn't, even yeah. when I was in there. I mean, obviously, as things went on and I had a life, I needed a paycheck. Yeah. But in the beginning, as an 18, 19, 20 oh, year yeah. old kid, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll pay you. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, Seriously. That's, people don't understand that passion for that drive. No, really. I would literally die. Yeah. No, 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 no problem. I mean, I don't want to die. Yeah. But if I fall off the O course because I... That was, was me too, so, man. It happens. I'm, I don't care. I, I would rather die than quit. I'll never quit. You'll have to get me out. You'll have to force me out of here. Yeah. And it's a blessing to find that thing that you're that passionate about. I mean, yeah. how many people don't... It's hard to find that. That's so true. How many people are like, well, I wish I could find that passion. Like, you just, I don't know. It's hard to, I'm blessed. I thank God to this day that I found something that I wanted so bad in life that I was willing to die for. And yeah. look where it got me. I got, I not only got to make it through and do some of the coolest missions ever, I got to be, I got to meet some of the best people on the planet. On the planet. And I say that all the time, but like, I don't really think people understand. Yeah. They have no idea. No idea. Like, I really, really mean that. Like, the yeah. best people on the planet. And you it's accumulate like, all those people, and you'll never get that kind of thing again. Yeah. So how'd you, so you, did you convince him in that moment? I remember I was, you know, it's, it's a long time, and with my TBI from my <clears throat> grenade injury, I, you know, I forget a lot of stuff. But I remember sitting there, and I was, you know, sitting in a chair, and we were in some sort of office, and he approaches me, and I remember the feeling of dread of like this is my path i'm on a path to go to buds and be a seal and i just showed up and this navy chief is stopping it immediately and it's like well i remember the feeling of dread of like, yeah, he's the one obstacle in one moment in time yeah and it's i, I do remember that feeling of like oh man this but uh, persistence man i knew what i wanted and it was um i don't know exactly what i had said to him but I convinced him. He took away my contract, and he made me a, mach a machinist mate. I lost my bonus in my IT school, and I didn't care at all. But I somehow convinced right him. Right then and there, before, after basic and before your uh, advanced training or your individual training, he reclassed you or re-tasked you to another job Correct. right then and there. While I was in boot camp. Nice. That's yes, rare. that is... Yeah, I can't imagine that happening. I mean, I, don't, I, can, I wish I could go back and watch the conversation in third person and see what I said. Yeah. I mean, think about it. I'm an 18 year old kid. This is a Navy chief. And he's telling me, this is, I'm, a, I'm basically not obeying orders from a chief. Kind of. I mean, if you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you're going to be a submariner. And I'm, no, I'm going to be a SEAL. Yeah. So it's like, uh, well, it worked out in your favor. It did. Obviously. I guess persistence. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I mean, it was, um, it was basically the gist of, please let me allow me to go to buds or please send me home. Wow. So you reclass and you, you had this new job and then this is you checking a massive block because you, you, your focus is going to buds and you just have to get to this training. And, and then you, you get to a point, I'm assuming after training, do you go straight to buds after the training? So went through boot camp, went through machinist mate, a school, which is still there around the great lakes area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I spent, I think it was another nine weeks around there. I had some, uh, I met some good friends in boot camp. A couple, a couple guys were going to buds. A couple guys were going swick. The, the, boat, the boats. boat guys. Yeah. Boat no, guys. Boat driver guys. Guys good. So I had a good group of guys that we stuck around with there in, uh, around the great lakes area. And we trained a little bit, did the machinist made a school. When I graduated from that, it was early 
for me to go out to Coronado to go to Bud's. Um, just class wasn't um, starting up that soon. I asked to go out early to assist on the uh, previous classes, and they they allowed me to do it. Hmm. So I went out like a month earlier, and uh, I went out to Coronado a month earlier, and I got to um, go out to the island and assist the guys in third phase with some training. And I got to see like everybody. It was it was cool because I mean, you're seeing the inside. I'm seeing the inside. Yeah. I just graduated boot camp i don't know anything and then i i'm like hey can i go out early and help and they did and i got to see all the guys that are in third phase like they're almost done with they it. got and a thousand yard stare and they're, they're like a cherry yeah yeah, yeah i'm nothing <laughs> and like this just started like it was a cool it was a cool experience to see and uh, it was you know the instructors still made us get wet and sandy every day and we still got yeah beat but it was uh it was totally worth it to get to see it before i got to experience like uh, some of the cool things i got to do in third phase yeah, because you're getting conditioned, and it's like you're getting your mindset mm -hmm. properly aligned. Definitely, you're still doing the same stuff. You're not part of a class, but yeah. they're still you're still wearing the same stuff, and they're still treating you like a student. That's a huge benefit, man. It like, was cool. Yeah, it I was. Think, a, yeah, that's awesome. It was a great experience. I'm really glad it was. It was, it was a good experience. I went out there, helped that class uh, for like a whole month, three weeks to a month, and then I classed up with my class and started Indoc, which is pre buds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you go in doc, you're doing basically the the pre-selection for buds, and I'm assuming people are dropping like flies. In doc was intense. So you have your summer classes and you have your winter classes. And mm -hmm. all the winter hell week uh, as far as hell week goes. Yeah. <clears throat> all the winter class guys and hell week always give the summer guys crap because, you know, winter class is supposedly harder, but we were a summer class, but during in doc they hammered us. We, we on our Hell Week t-shirts, after Hell Week, you make a t-shirt with like your, your own specific whatever design. And we were, we on ours, we called ourselves the hammer class. Because in NDOC, I think we thought it was because we were a summer class, they would just beat us more. Yeah. You know, make up for it. And uh, just during that NDOC phase, it, it, I think the numbers are accurate in the book, but I want to say it was like 40 something guys in just NDOC. And that's, wow. that's a big number. I mean, it, you, Buds is a basically started. How many did you start with? We started with a couple hundred. Yeah. I want to say we started first phase with 180, 185 or something. Yeah. But we lost around 30, 40 guys just in Endoc. Just and in the pre-run-up before you even get kicked off. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, Endoc was tough, but I think a lot of the Endoc was getting you prepared. So you're learning the O course, and they were doing a lot of swimming. I remember doing a lot of swimming. It's mm -hmm. obviously a big part of buds. Yeah, I wasn't a good swimmer. I mean, I grew up in a trailer park in Southeast Texas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I could swim, but I wasn't very proficient. So that month <clears throat> in Endoc was huge, man. We spent a lot of time in the pool learning how to do the yeah side stroke. They're teaching you as teaching. part of this, right? That's what Endoc. I think I up. feel yeah. was, was Endoc was a lot of teaching and like the old course. Here's here's some swimming. Here's these evolutions to kind of get you prepared. Yeah, but in the process just because they're, they're still going to teach you in first phase, they still beat us. Like, mm -hmm. It was still like... Wet and sandy every it, day. It was wet and sandy every day. It was still the same thing. I consider NDOC buds. So I, buds is six months long, first, second, and third phase. NDOC is a month. So I consider buds seven months. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. How was, how was hell week for you? It was intense. It was the best sleep of my life I've ever gotten afterwards. Yeah. It was... Uh, 
We carry those IBS boats, inflatable boats, small, you know, two couple hundred pound boats, rubber boats on top of your head everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. And uh, it rubbed all the hair off the top of my head by the end of the week. Wow. Well, you know, I had a little bit of hair left, but yeah, there's a, there's a bald spot. I got pictures of it somewhere. I can't find them. Really? But Just from some, rubbing in the friction, friction in the grime? I talked to Sean Ryan about it and Andy about it. Okay. Both of them were like, man, it was brutal because they said the most brutal aspect of it was the chafing. The chafing. Which is insane. You couldn't yeah. prevent that. Yeah. Your crotch, your groin, like everything was just getting your legs, your nipples, everything was just chafed and destroyed. It's roast beef oh in between gosh. your legs. So at the end of uh, Hell Week, uh, what's that? flesh eating you get uh if it gets infected you can't get all all your anyways they they give you a brillo pad at the end of hell week you've been up for five and a half days getting your ass kicked yeah and they give you a brillo pad and they're like go rub your hamburger meat go get all that infection out oh all that raw every raw area they give you disinfected you can't get infected one guy's nuts swole up to the size of Grapefruit, maybe? Like a cantaloupe? Cantaloupe. Something. It was big. That's how big my balls are normally. Oh, that's normal, yeah. So you're going to be like a watermelon. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. So was that was that for, for you, was that the hardest part of the no, whole thing? I forgot about the chafing part. Chaving part, you just get used to. It sucks. And, yeah. then, and then towards the end when you got to scrub it and you got to go get medical, of course, you know, that always sucks. But um, you're, I remember walking around at the end of, uh, towards the end when you're, you're all chafed, you're wet the entire time, wet and sandy the entire time. So everything's chafed. Your nipples are chafed, your armpits, your, your crotch, your legs, and you're just, I, I can't do it because we're talking, but you're you're kind of, you're, you're walking with, <laughs> but you're walking, wobbling with your bow, bow-legged, trying not to let your shirt touch your nipples and holding your arms out while trying to run. It's weird. So like you're chafed. That's funny, man. Everybody looks a little weird because they're trying not to let their, yeah. Clothes touch they're trying not chafing. to bleed. Yeah, they're trying not to bleed. So uh, it's rough. But the uh, Hell Week was intense. It was, uh, it, it got rid of most of the guys that shouldn't be there, obviously. What, what was, you know, coming from Southeast Texas and your background, what was the thing that you held on to that got you through it? Like if you had to capture what mindset you had at the time and then kind of the tactic which made you get through that experience was there something personally that you repeated in your head a mantra did you just check out were you in a happy place like could you describe kind of how that how that went it was what i wanted i wanted to be there i would say what got me through it was the guys and the humor Mm. that's what got you through and then um in the tough situations the mindset would be i'd say there's a lot with the brain health um with calming down, like what did you do before house runs? What did you do when you're in bad situations, when you're in the cold water? You'd go to your happy place. Mm-hmm. I would just, when I was in the ice water, or not, you know, San Diego, it's like what, 65, 68? <clears throat> you just close your eyes and go to your happy place. Don't think about it. It's only, it's gonna, it's only gonna last so long. Yeah, It's gonna be over. And What was your happy place? I don't know, man. Just whatever you think about at the time that makes you yeah. just not be there and then the wave goes over and you're like oh it's cold for a second and then you just try to mellow your brain mellow it breathe and then now i think about what did you do before house runs mm. I, I would i would breathe i would take deep breaths and i would try to get in flow get in that flow state of um focus breathing relax and i think I, I did that same thing i just didn't realize it in buds in those intense situations like what did you do you just you didn't freak out <laughs> yeah yeah those people went when away. you wanted to 
when you wanted to, but you just there, you found a place in your mind where you could just go and remain calm. Remain calm. Man. Yeah. But yeah. I would say what yeah. got me through, I mean, it's just that it was what I wanted. I would have died to have been there. And then what got me through it was the guys. I mean, just that camaraderie and the humor. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, that's how we got it. I'm sure I'm assuming it's the same thing with yeah, you. It's absolutely. All, yeah. It's all jokes. That's yeah. how you get it. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. And now it's time off. Let's have fun. And it's all jokes and games. And Yeah. I think the guys who do, don't find the humor or can't laugh at themselves or others and they get inside their head is how they continue to build this like foundation for failure because they're they're intentionally going to check out because they're alone. It's like they have no support mechanism. And people don't realize even in even in singular driven assessments where you're supposed to be assessed as an individual, like I remember in Ranger school like looking over at my buddy Dylan, and he was from uh, the 101st, and I look over at him, and I would say Cocoa Pebbles. I just whisper Cocoa Pebbles, and that would make us smile, but also think about the food that we'd get afterwards because <laughs> nice. we were starving, and just yeah. gave us a little bit of incentive to not quit because we're we knew we were going to get somewhere where we had that, and and it was just enough to get through each moment. That's it. Did you take each moment at a time, or, or per day? How did you count down? the days to graduation. It's like eating an elephant, man. Yeah. Take it one evolution at a time. Yeah. That's it, buddy. You get to the next meal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I remember uh, sitting there eating MREs <clears throat> a couple of days into Hell Week and hearing the bell ring. You know, so there's a lot of stuff I forget, but I remember sitting there eating. I'm like, why, why are people quitting, man? We, we got time off. I got two MREs to eat and we're yeah. just sitting here Crushing chilling. Crushing chow. Just eating yeah. in the hot sun. I got, you know, it's, I'm not in pain right now. I'm eating, but... Uh, it's just those, I guess those people were thinking about the next evolution of like how much it's going to suck again, mm. but it's like, who cares, man? You're going to get this break. It's going to suck again in a second, but yeah. well, how bad do you want to be here? What do you want to do? Mm. Do you want to be a, do you want to be an operator? Like, mm. Well then uh, stick around and put up with it or not, or go away. Well, what I, what I say is like, you know, um, the guy's. To do that job, you're not just doing it to, to say I'm a Navy SEAL. I mean, I guess some guys might want to, but the instructors are there to find out who really wants to be an, a SEAL, who like, who would be willing to die for their friend. Like Mike Monsoor, yeah. a SEAL, jumped on a grenade to save his friends. Yeah. That happened in that, Ramadi, right? I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like that's the kind of people. We're not looking for people who are just wanting to say I'm a SEAL. You, you need to prove to be willing to take it to that level. And in order to do that, you have to push people to their limits. And uh, yeah, that's a good way to do it. I, I like that because, you know, it's, there's some issues with special operate for special forces, army special forces for the Green Beret pipeline that I've talked about before. But I like a, what I like about the Navy version of that is it's consistently the same experience, right? No, if I talk to Sean or Andy or any, any of the guys, you have similar experiences because the program has remained the same. And it's very good weeding out the wrong based on the evolutions and then using the water as that factor. Right? Definitely. You can you can definitely see it. Mm-hmm. Because people fear the water. Fuck yeah. That's one way to do it. It's scary, man. It scares the shit out of me. My, my uncle was retired in Navy. My dad was Army. And I, I wanted to do Navy. But he, I remember he told me, he said... If you're not a strong swimmer and you fail, your needs of the Navy. And if mm-hmm. you don't like mopping decks of carriers, right. then that's what you're going to do. 
And I was like, so dad, what's my options? <laughs> you know, and he's like, well, there's army, there's our army version the land version. Right. Um, but I've always respected the Navy for that. Cause it's it, the, the water is a scary place, man. Yeah. And you guys are doing open ocean swims mm -hmm. in the middle of uh, the ocean. And it, it's, it's scary because you either, you know, you either float or sink. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously you floated. Yeah, I was I was pretty comfortable. Yeah, yeah. like I, said, I could have gone either any branch. It was just like I I love the water. Yeah, and I love being in the water. That's it, awesome. But it is scary, man. Something the evolutions and the stuff that we do. Yeah, it gets scary. Yeah, that water it'll kill you quick. Yeah, and and people don't realize that. I mean, the hardest school in the in the army side is combat dive. It's it's in Key West because they follow the same kind of drown proofing and uh, water confidence and tactics okay. and. Those things will kill you. Yes. I mean, if you're not calm and you're, you know, gurgling water and you're not paying attention and you're seeking the surface too fast, it, that that will kill you yep. easily. Yep. Um, it's a good way to get uh, the people to quit too. There were some guys <clears throat> who we thought were really uh, that were going to make it. it. Seemed like they were going to be. Oh yeah, that guy's stellar. He's going to crush it. You put him in the water and he freaks out a little bit and then he's gone. You look at the, the evolution's over and you're looking around and you're like, where'd he go? And you don't even know where he's at. You don't even know where he go? That, that fast. <laughs> happens all the time. You, when you get through um, buds and then you, you're doing your advanced training, you're getting set up, did you know what SEAL team that you're going to go to, what specific team, or did, how did that play out? I had no idea. I didn't even know what coast I wanted to be on. Honestly, I just, uh, when we were asked, we had to fill out a list. You just get a, you well, can request yeah. where you want to go. And mostly it's just west or east. And uh -huh. uh, honestly, I didn't even know. I didn't even care. Uh -huh. I was just happy I made it through buds. So what I did was I just started going around the room and seeing where all the guys were going. And I just went. My buddies are going here, so I'll go here too. Yeah, some of them, my gut, my gut, I mean, I, you know, obviously everybody in the class was really tight. But for some reason, the west or east coast was it. Yeah. I mean, I love the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, California. It's, it's amazing. Beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. amazing. Yeah. But there was a couple of buddies of mine that were going East Coast for some reason. I'm like, okay, cool, let's go. And then that's how you got on the East Coast? Yeah, I was like, you, 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 okay, East Coast. I'll put East Coast. Man. And it, it worked out well. <laughs> how exciting was it for you to pin your trident, to get that in that ceremony and look down at your chest and see that? Was that, was that a profound moment for you? Yeah, it was. Um, so, we didn't, so you graduate from Bud, you don't get your Trident quite yet. You got to go through a, a little more advanced training SQT. Mm -hmm. And definitely both were great days. Uh, the graduation from Bud's, I, I would say, was the, the important day for me. I mean, the pinning was a very important day for me, but mm -hmm. it was more uh, closed off just for us. Uh, just for the teams or um, the guys. Yeah, it's not open to the public. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, the buds graduation was. I my family came in and everything, so that was a really cool thing. My my folks don't leave Texas much, and uh, they were stoked about. Yeah, they were. I wish my my grandparents would have made it, but they were just too old to, to yeah. come. But that was a when I graduated buds. That was the day when I got my pin. Yes, but to share it with your family is a whole new deal. Yeah, and graduating buds is good. And also when you get your when you get your seal pin it's a really great day and it's a really awesome but it kind of doesn't count it um yeah you have to when you get to your team you, you still have to prove yourself you know yeah when yeah. you get there you're, you're on so probation you, you're on probation yeah yeah just because you show up nobody cares hey you graduated the buds 
Good job, dude. Nobody cares. Nobody does. It <laughs> hasn't so, even began yet. Hasn't even started. So wow. it was cool. It's definitely a great moment in like the close ceremony getting the pin. But as soon as I showed up to the team, it's like, here you go. Here's it. Here, it's right back to you. Yeah. How was your overall experience uh, on the first SEAL team that you were in uh, being received as a new guy? Was it pretty good? It was great. I loved it, man. Even like, you know, a little hazing here and there. It was, yeah. It's all part of the process. It's so much fun. It was, uh, I said, I love the guys. I, I, uh, first deployment was probably, it was definitely a little slow. We did the PSD. Yeah. The security. Where was that at? Out there. Uh, Iraq. Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. What year was that? 2005. 2005. I want to say it's 2005. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did that first deployment. I think I got to do maybe two operations and I did absolutely nothing. I think on I think on my first operation, I held security on the back door the entire time. Oh. You know, that's like, you know, <laughs> hey, it was just a different environment. It wasn't a, we didn't have very many operations, but I, you know, I, I got to do a couple of them, but I didn't do too much. Uh, yeah. Mostly it was the security detail. My second deployment with Team Four was in, in Baghdad, and mm-hmm. we were around Solder City. That was that, a, was that six? Oh six. Oh six. Then yeah, the year after. Was so six, I did. Oh seven. Eight. Oh yeah, because Clark, my friend Clark, Clark Schwedler died in two thousand and seven. Shoot, April two thousand and seven. Yeah. So, yeah, and you just look at your legs. You have a you have ink on tattoo, tattoo yeah. on it. Yeah, I was so. I worked with the East Coast teams. I don't remember what team we we worked with in 06 in Baghdad doing ERU and then ICTF. Yep, yeah, yeah, that's what, the yeah. Counterterrorism Force. Yep, yep. Um, uh, so we did that, and uh, I was at the CIFA at the time, the Commanders and Extremist Force and third group, and we did joint ops, which was real cool. It was a cool experience, man. And a lot of those guys ended up going to dev later on. Um, one of my buddies, Sean, uh, was there. He a good friend of mine because we went to Halo to school together and then he wound up going over to Deb, but great guy. And then 07 was a hot year. 07 was a very hot year. I was I did a task force trip uh, with Task Force 16 and it was crazy. Yeah. Al-Qaeda was at its peak. Is that when you lost your buddy in that, in that rotation? Clark Schwindler died in Fallujah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he actually died on my father's birthday. I remember trying to call home to my dad, and I was like, "Oh man, somebody passed away." No idea it was one of my best friends, Clark. That yeah. sucked. Yeah. Did you go to? Was he on? Was he in Team Four with you? He was at Team Four. He was just in a different. I was in Baghdad, and he was. Oh, he was a different okay. unit. Or so you I, split the same team, different uh, platoon. platoon. Yeah. Wow, man. <clears throat> so yeah, that was rough. seven was a rough, rough trip. Yeah, I but, was there a summer of seven, and it was pretty, pretty rough. Yeah, we lost. Uh, we lost dogs. We lost people. Yeah, um, bad trip, man. That that was like the peak of the the strategic change, right? We started going hard after Al Qaeda um, in Iraq, and uh, yeah, man. So how how many? So you, you're with Team Four at the time, mm-hmm. and oh seven. Yeah, and then we did a lot of stuff in the Solder City area. Yeah. yeah, that was busy. Yeah. So that was a good deployment on that one. <laughs> yeah. Solder City was. We were busy. Yeah, it was busy. Great deployment. Yeah. Great deployment on that one. And then I was uh, fortunate enough to go over to development group after that. Yeah. And then there was no more Iraq deployments. It was all Afghanistan. I, w- I would have loved to do an Iraq deployment 
with development group. Yeah. I remember, you know, when, when Dev went over to, was in Afghanistan, I think after Zarqawi was killed, it was like, well, the war's over kind of. And then it, there was still remnants, but seven was the peak. And I went back to Iraq in eight and, and I was disappointed. Yeah. Like I told all the boys, I was like, you know, I was a cell leader at the time. I'm like, dude, you guys, we're going to Sutter City again. We're about to get in a gunfight. Because we shut down Sutter City all the time because of the gunfights. And then we went in there, and it was crickets. Nothing, really? Nothing happened, man. It was disappointing. I did not know that. And then I was like, man, I wish I could go to Afghanistan. <laughs> and yeah. then, you know, we were stuck in Iraq. Yep, yep. And you guys were there in uh, A-Stan. How was, how was your first rotation with Dev? Was, was, was there a different, I mean, obviously there's a culture change, right? Yeah. What was your overall experience being on both sides? I would say the the guys are all the same. It's probably a little more resources, a little more money. Mm -hmm. um, and we switched theaters from Iraq to Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, besides that, though, I mean, it's, it's I'm trying to think of anything else that's just. Yeah. Just, you know, you, you just more shooting, more, more training, more training, you get more money, you get more, more, training. more narrow of a focus on, but it's on all missions. the same guys. I yeah. mean, there's some guys that could have made it to dev group that just decided not to. Yeah. There's some guys that were, that would have made it no doubt about it. They just decided like, I just don't want, they to don't go. want to assess for it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know why this for some reason. Yeah. I mean, maybe they wouldn't have made it, but I mean, I'm, you know, there were some really great operators. Just some guys decided not to, I don't know, Yeah. but uh, it's all the same. Just, was, was that your end state or your end goal? When you went into the Navy? No, you, I had no idea until I just found out when I was in and it, uh, it sounded like, you know, you get some better missions sometimes, you get better money, you get more operations and yeah. it was another test. Yeah. Let's see if I got it. Let's see if I can do it. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was, I was all about it. Yeah. So you, when you go over there and you're, you're doing, you know, you're operating in Afghanistan and you're going to war routinely. Are you living for war at that time? Because, I mean, I remember, you know, we served around the same times. The only thing I cared about was war. That's was all combat. I wanted to do was shoot bad people in the face. That's it. That's it. And you come back, and it's like, I hate to say this, but it, everything's a burden. Because the only thing I'm thinking about when I return is when can I get on the next thing going. Everything's so simple on deployment, too. It is, man. It is. It's like the most primitive life that you never live in civilian life. That you get exposed to and you're like that's how i should be living right i and, eat chow work out and i go to war and the job is you're s stopping bad people from hurting good people like perfect job and it's simple like yeah you just yeah you don't have nothing to worry about you know in the states you have all these responsibilities and, stuff. and don't get me wrong overseas your lives are on the line but for some reason it's just simple you yeah know, you know, you know. did you did you have any not bad experiences but traumatic experiences early on in your dev career um, before you guys did Neptune Spirit? Was there anything that that arose that kind of shook you? Or I mean, when you guys operate, I mean, you're aggressive and you're you're taking casualties. You're, things are happening rapidly and fast. Was there anything that stands out to you that, that affected you in any way? You know, just losing guys. Yeah. How many, did you guys lose a lot of guys? No, we, we lost Clark. And then my first deployment didn't lose. We um one of the Rangers. We lost a Ranger that that were that were with us. Um, we were fortunate. We lost some dogs. Now we lost Falco on uh, the deployment. Um, but yeah. we, we we didn't lose a lot of people. But that's what would get to me is when we when we just lose somebody. Other than that, I didn't have too many. I mean, I had a few close calls, but 
nothing that was like shook me. I would yeah. say nothing that stopped me. I think there was one time I went out on an operation where I was like nervous of dying for some reason. I just had this weird feeling. Other than that, things were pretty, you know, normal. It's just we we're, were so well trained. You're all, I mean, look who you got with you. Like you had a bunch of badasses with you, and you're, you're all yeah. well trained. You usually, you know, you, you know your job. It's a dangerous situation, but you're excited to be there to to do it. And uh, usually, I remember there was this one time I had this weird feeling. But other than that, I don't know what it was from. Nothing ever. Did you Did you feel it like before, like pre op? Like it was you, on the walk in. Oh, the infill. It was just weird. Were you guys doing offsets at the time? Just so a long walk, mm -hmm. man. And so you had that feeling, like it was a weird feeling. I never had it. I yeah. never had it again. It was just some reason I felt like I wasn't gonna. Something bad was gonna happen. I thought felt like I was gonna die. Man, it was it was weird. Never yeah. had it before, but um. But never. I mean that 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 could be a natural survival instinct too. I mean something that you feel like a sense, and then maybe you take precautions that didn't put you in that catastrophic situation in the maybe. first place. I've had those instances too where. Um, you know, I, we were planning everything and things aren't making sense mm -hmm. and there's disruptions in Intel and I'm like, this doesn't seem right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess you on that one. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely times, but that, that was just a weird night for me where just, I just emotionally never felt that inside of me on a walk in that mm -hmm. feeling of like, why do I think I'm not going to make it home tonight? Mm -hmm. You know? But yeah, you know, yeah. It's crazy. Still, there are certain things that come up where you do question the operation. When I was blown up, in 2012, uh, it was there was a couple things that were weird to me that night that uh, we shouldn't have gone out on. It was a it was a little too bright outside and uh, loom. Yeah, yeah. It was just like okay, well, still going, still going. You know, I know what you're saying. Every once in a while, you get yeah. Once once three things go wrong, then you should definitely like look at the objective <laughs> yeah. and see if you should still go. Absolutely. On that night, I got blown up. It was like one, the one, you know, there wasn't like a whole lot of things going on, but I get what you're saying on, on certain times, certain things come up where you're like, okay, if a certain amount of these start to add up, then we're going to cancel the objective. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times I, the, the, the one time where you know things are going to go wrong is we're like, uh, we're going to do it anyway. It's like, okay, well, yeah. we, we have parameters set. There's yeah. things that we know we shouldn't be doing and we're doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, sometimes you have to, I guess. Yeah, sometimes it's just required, right? You get the you can't reduce and mitigate all risk. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to go. Oh no, not all at all. In. Yeah. Is there any? Is there? So you know, you're you're going to Afghanistan. You're rotating back and forth. You're on a a constant cycle. So you're deploying every year. Oh yeah, yeah. I was very fortunate. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's funny because I mean, when people hear this, when you say you're very fortunate, my idea. For every NCOER, which is non-commissioned officer evaluation report, was I wanted combat for every year that I served in special forces, yeah. and and I did, but that was my goal because in a fiscal year, if I didn't deploy, like why am I even in special operations in the first place? Right. But people don't. So a lot of people don't get that, right? Well, can you explain a little bit about, you know, that mindset with the men that you serve with because that's. That's the culture. That's just not an individual. No. Like we strive to get into the fight. Yeah. Every single person is striving to get into the fight. I mean, that's why you go through all of that training and all of that pain and suffering to do what? To go sit around and do nothing? And <clears throat> obviously you want to go do good things for your country and go fight bad people. Yeah. Chomping at the bit. Every single one of those guys is chomping at the bit and say, um, I was lucky and 
when I was a new guy at Team 4, I ended up getting uh, comm school. A lot of guys don't want to deal with communications. They always shut down. It's a pain. I was a new guy. So they sent me to that. I didn't care. I'm kidding. Of course, I'll go to comm school. I'll go to every single school you send me to. And then I ended up getting that and Sniper and JTAC. And with those three, I made myself pretty valuable. Oh, yeah. And just realizing that, it's like everybody's fighting to go on every mission. I mean, that's what it is. You're not, we're not fighting with each other, but everybody's striving to go on every single offer. Everybody wants to work. Everybody wants to work, obviously. Yeah. And um, I just tried to make myself as valuable as possible because got you're trying to keep up with all these other guys. Mm-hmm. They're, they're no joke. Like, you know, if you don't keep up with them, you're not going to make it. So, I'm, you know, even when I'm not deploying, I was going to every school that I could possibly go to to make myself more valuable. Even when I came, when it came to the dogs, a lot of guys didn't want to have to babysit a dog on target. I mean, operating alone is hard. And if you're not using the dog, then you're, you're not doing anything. You're babysitting a dog, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and then you have to control an animal. Nobody, a lot of people don't want to do that. I mean, in my mind, I love dogs and I make myself more valuable because, I mean, guys love to have the dogs out there because they save lives. So not everybody's a dog handler with, with all these qualifications, you just make yourself more valuable. If they need a, a communications yeah. guy, Hey, come on. I, I know comms for the, you know, I need a dog handler. And to just, um, if I had the opportunity to save one of my guys from, um, getting shot or killed by using a dog and, and putting in all that hard work, then yes, one opportunity to do that. I mean, I, I know you told me your story yeah. with a dog saving your life, you know, they save lives. They yeah. save lives. If I could have that one chance, I'm completely and I love dogs. So yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, I was the same way. I love dogs too. And one of the one of the regrets, I, I turned down a job uh, in a special missions unit to run a dog, and I didn't do it. Did you? I should have did it, man. It's a great experience just to yeah. know how to read the dog, because even as a a leader, a team leader, you know how to utilize the dog even better. Yeah, and you know what to look for. And you know, even if like, say the handler is making a mistake and you know what you're doing, you're able to, it just gives you more experience. Yeah. You, know, you can watch the change of behavior on the dog. You can help, help the handler to put him in the right position, every, yeah. all that stuff. So, yeah. And you're on every, you're on every single hit. And I know our dogs used to lead the way. I mean, they led, led the way on the infill, on the objective. I mean, yes. it, it, it was such an asset. So talk to me about the dog experience for you 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 to make a decision in dev that you're going to work a dog and then you got to get trained up how's that experience training up with knowing dogs but not in the capacity um of military working dogs it was a great experience it was um it was different um, <clears throat> i was an operator i wasn't a handler i don't know anything about dogs I had dogs growing up but like you said i don't, I don't know anything about a military working dog um, using my, my voice, my tone of voice, using my body language and all that stuff and having to learn to communicate with an animal and get the point across. And like, you know, you're around a bunch of operators mm-hmm. and all we do is, it's nothing but jokes, right? So you want me to go and like clap and scream and sound like a girl and scream. Cause you got to communicate with the dog. The dog, yeah. if you go, good boy, good boy, he's going to go. I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, he needs tones, deflections. He needs yeah. tones. He needs that voice. He need to like. You need to amp it up. And uh, being a seal, and me, I'm a quiet guy. I'm a real quiet guy. Yeah. If you can't tell, yeah. um, 
<laughs> so in the beginning, for me to like get clap and scream and good bruffy boy and all that stuff, it was hard for me to. All the guys are like around; they're going to make fun of me later and all that stuff. But at a certain point, man, it doesn't matter if that dog. I will take my pants off and run around and scream at the top of my lungs if that dog. If you can communicate that dog, get that point across. That dog has to understand what you're doing because it's going to save somebody's life. Yeah. I'll do whatever it takes to get that communication across because it's that important. I don't care what I have to do. But at first, it was tough to learn all that stuff. Yeah. But of course, you know, I mean, once you see the value of the dog, you don't. it doesn't matter. Like, I'll do whatever it takes. So for people who don't understand military working dogs at all, you know, military working dogs aren't bomb sniffing, not just bomb sniffing. There's capable bomb sniffing dogs. Mm-hmm. But these dogs are detecting their uh, on leads, uh, capable of biting. Um, they're sent into houses on call outs to be able to search and clear. What are some of the capabilities that your dogs had that you had to be tuned into that allowed them to save lives? So our dogs were <clears throat> dual purpose, explosive odor and man odor. So basically, um, we just put in all the training. I would just look for changes of behavior in the dog. So when Cairo, every, every, every person's different, every dog's different, you know, we have our little tails. Cairo's little tail I would watch when he, when he would pick up a scent, when he would get on odor, most of the dogs would usually do a head throw and you can see it like a quick, either change in direction or some kind of just, you know, a quick change. And you're like, okay, maybe makes you pay a little bit more attention. But then usually a dog have like this other tail. Cairo's was a helicopter tail. His tail would literally just do a circle. And that's when I knew like, okay, he definitely has something. So he so, could detect a man a and man. you don't smell it obviously. And you look at him and you see his tail turning out and you're yep. like, oh. So it's either explosive shit. or man. He's out in front. Like you said, they're leading wow. the way out in front. And if he smells something weird, either one of those two. And you can train a dog to detect anything. They have cadaver dogs, search and rescue, narcotics. You know, you, you can train animals to do anything. But ours explosives and man odor so when you're out there you're just looking for him to do any he's normally out there just trotting along sniffing and if you look if you're watching him and you see him throw a head change and you're like okay maybe pay a little bit more attention see if he's on something and then you should know your everybody should probably know your dog well enough to where they see like okay that dog like cairo his his tail is starting to do the helicopter thing he's definitely on on some odor because if you know that, you can stop the dog. You know, say he's out in the open and he's heading towards a bridge or some bushes and he's obviously thrown a change of behavior and he's showing a sign that he's on some sort of either, some sort of dangerous odor, whether it's an explosive or a guy. As he's heading towards that direction, you can just stop him. You know, you just kind of read your dog, watch where he's going and you don't have to put him into danger. You don't have to let him go all the way over there and engage. You can just like... I mean, we were in a couple of HBIDs, and we had a dog, Balto. <laughs> he probably saved a couple guys that night. The whole house was rigged to explode, before, and he's, he, he went in throwing, throwing his change of behavior. And uh, <clears throat> if we wouldn't have seen that, I mean, if we all would have just entered the house and they would have clacked it off, who would have known what would have happened, you know? So when we were sitting there watching him, you know, he had his own tails that his handler knew. And when... When Balto went, entered that house and he started showing signs, we knew the house was rigged to explode. So, I mean, we can do that with dogs. Um, if they're going towards something, and we can tell they're on some order, 
<clears throat> some sort of odor, just stop them immediately and you don't have to put the dog into danger. You can address the situation a little differently, you know? It's crazy. I didn't realize, like you're describing this now, and this is exactly what happened with the dog that saved my life, with okay. Vinny. Because Rick, the dog handler, he was a, a CAG dog handler. And um, when he identified the 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 guy that was hiding in the reeds, like I told you, I told Rick, I said, hey, man, I, I don't think he's detected anything. Like, you know, I'm, I'm being kind of impatient because I don't just want to shoot the guy in the face, right? I'm just like, let's just move up and shoot the guy. Right. But he's like, no, 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 I wait. And, and he's basically like, shut the fuck up because he knows he sees behavior change right. in what the dog's doing. And, he, you know, Vinny, he kind of like went in a little circle and then he jumped up like a fox and pounced on the subject or the suspect that was inside the reeds and then, you know, paid paid for it with his life. But if that was me, you know, one, if I was too impatient because I wasn't reading the dog properly, I would have I said, let's get this dog out of here. But Rick was tuned into his right. behavior. So I'm assuming the relationship you build with the dog includes this nonverbal communication 100%. that you're that you're reading based off of uh, what the dog's doing. And 100%. every dog's different in a way. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We're talking. There's a saying in the dog world, and you're... <clears throat> there's a saying in the dog world, your emotions go up and down the leash and you're, you know, the dog's reading your emotions and you're reading the dog. Um, just like the teammates, you know, you, you know, the deal, you could tell every single person on the team from the in, back on in black and green. Yeah. On black and green. <laughs> you know, every person. And it's always funny when they fall. <laughs> it is. It's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> you could see Kit. I'm like, that. that's uh, Brian because his kit's all jacked up. You right. see shit flying <laughs> off of him. That's definitely Brian. Yep. So just like that, just like I, I know who you are, every person. I know that dog. And and honestly, like, you know, you know the operators on the, on the team, they know the dogs too. Because like you said, everybody is chomping to go get that bad guy. And if the dog is on an odor, there's a bad guy out there hiding. Oh, yeah. And everybody wants to get rid of that bad guy. That's yeah. what everybody is there to do. Yeah. So everybody wants to know how to read that dog because they're watching the dog. Like, what did the... Um, if they can get to them, if they can get to the guy by watching the dog before the handler does, they're going to get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're going to get the everybody's guy. Looking, everybody's <laughs> looking at the dog trying to get that kill. They're That's like, it. oh, I'm going to get that kill That's first. Because you're on lead too. You're, you're advanced, right? I mean, a lot of times you got to be sniffing bombs on infill you got to be doing a lot of things proactively and imagine everybody's tuned into you yeah some guys are some guys aren't the, the recce guys up front you know with our group would definitely be tuned in definitely yep. yeah mm -hmm. so um let's talk about cairo because okay. cairo you had him before we'll just call it neptune spear i mean everybody generally knows it as the Bin Laden raid, but you have Cairo prior. Let's talk about what kind of dog Cairo was. So yeah, Cairo was, um, all the dogs that we had were amazing working dogs. You know, just like as, as seals, you go through selection and you have to make it through. The dogs have to go through a, the same selection process, right? So all of our dogs are great working dogs they're pipe hitting dogs they're like the best they're of the best yeah they, they yeah. go through seal selection process for dogs and uh is there a swim in there i'm assuming there will be we, because we did a little bit of water stuff yeah yeah you gotta have the dog uh be able to swim to get like just like halo stuff and everything else uh, we would do some training in the pool and uh, even when i was out in dog 
training or handling school in California, they had a little water scenario. They tried to set us up in a, uh, they put us in a canoe. It was like a FM or full mission profile FMP at the end of the Mm -hmm. thing. And, uh, one of the evolutions towards the end was get on the one side of the lake, get in the canoe with your dog and you got to paddle across the canoe or paddle across the lake. And, you know, you just thought it was a physical thing. You know, there was running involved and sawing a log and, you didn't expect a guy when you're halfway across <clears throat> the water, a uh, guy in a bite suit to come out, and try to tump you, try to tump the canoe, you know, get the dog to come out and chase him. And a couple of the dogs did. So they jumped out of the canoe. Oh yeah. You're oh, halfway across the lake and you're not expecting, oh, this is, oh, this is just a paddle. Yeah. As soon as I get to the other side, there's going to be something happening. And they would surprise you with a guy in a bite suit coming out while you're still in the water. And some of the dogs would jump out and tump the boat. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so you're out there trying to control the dog, but also in the now you're dumped in the water. Exactly. So if you can't control your dog, hey, we'll see. It was, it was, it was, that was a good little test. So yeah, we did a little water. We did a lot of pool training. But uh, so yeah, chiro- the dogs go through a selection process. They're all great workers. They all crush it. Um, like I say, they they have a switch. They can turn it on when they put the vest on, just like any service dog, any working dog. Mm-hmm. And then when they take the vest off, they, they, they can flip that switch and turn it off. Um, a lot of these working dogs can't turn it off, you know. Mm-hmm. Kairou could turn it off. He could turn into a, a house pet. He was almost like a house pet. You yeah. know, we always treat the dogs re- with respect. These are working animals. You don't just go up and grab their face and start, yeah, yeah <laughs> don't yeah. do that. But um, he was almost like a house pet. He was... Um, I could take him around the command when he was still working, and uh, he would go... He was a leaner. He leaned up against you, even women. Oh. I'd have to worry about, you know, a lot of guys, there's women that worked at, their, at the command too. He would lean up against them and get hair all over him. He had a periodontal disease, so he'd put his hot trash breath right in your face and blow hot stink <laughs> air right in your Nobody cared. Everybody loved him. He was a real friendly dog. Um, and when he was retired, he was the same. I, I had him on the couch. I got pictures of him on the couch uh, with my buddy's kids upside down in their lap, you know, um, he got attacked by my girlfriend's mom's bulldog and didn't even retaliate. Really? He, he was just going took after, it? Yeah, he just took it. He was going after Toy. The bulldog got a little Toy aggressive and got him on the arm, you know, cut his arm open a little bit. and Nothing. Nothing. And the capability he has, he was just like, I'm just going to let this ride. Yeah. He was one of those <laughs> dogs. Yeah, he let it ride. He had the capability of, I mean, he, he, he had a bite. Was, yeah. I mean, the first person he ever bit, it was crazy. I mean, I've seen some different stuff. I mean seen a few people get shot and blown up and mm-hmm. you see some different things happen well, on Cairo's first bite I walked in and there was it looked like a jello mold in the corner of the room and like, what is that it's a congealed blood it's just I've never seen it like that you know it's just like the damage these dogs can do he must have nicked an artery Oof. and the guy just started squirting so much blood it just you know coagulated in the corner coagulated in the corner and look I'm like what is that and I've seen some weird stuff who brought this bowl of jello in here right that's exactly what went through my mind and I was like oh man that's oh cool but uh, yeah, these dogs can do some damage. Oh yeah, um, they all could. But when not all dogs could uh, come home and turn it off. You mm-hmm. know, it takes a lot. You're asking a dog to go into a dark room, get into a fight with somebody twice his size, mm-hmm. and not come off. And you know, you're not only asking that, you got to be around gunfire explosions, got a fast rope skydive, everything, man. You're asking a lot of these dogs so to have that kind of personality. And to have the kind of personality where you can almost kind of be like a house pet. It's, it, he, was a, he was a unique dog. 
I, I, sure. no, I noticed the best dogs are like that. I ha- yeah. we, I've, I've seen that experience with a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And then the the far, I guess we call it the far right version of that, would be the ones that couldn't turn it off where they would bite their own handlers. Yeah, They get freaked out on the VI and bite somebody's leg, which I've seen before. Yeah. We'd go and load the birds and they, <laughs> they go up and just... Some dude's acting erratic or he makes a weird movement and they go bite him. They'll let you know. Oh, uh, they'll let you know. Oh, yeah. And they have to be respected. And, yep. you know, I'm assuming Cairo was a Belgian Malinois. He was a Belgian Malinois. He probably had some shepherd in him. Yeah. Yeah. But he was a Mal. So what's the distinguishing factor uh, with the Shep mix in them? Because uh, is it the longer hair features that you see in their faces and their muzzle? Yeah, I would say the uh, the actual Malinois from what I was explained was all tan body with the black Yep, face muzzle. That's the Malinois. Cairo had some, you know. He wasn't all tan. He had, he was a little darker, so I think he had a little shepherd in him. Maybe the, in the longer hair. You know, the German shepherds have the longer hair. So I would use the mouths. Is it the temper? Is it to uh, make the dog more temperamental, like or I guess less temperamental to make sure they're balanced, or is it just dependent on the breeder or the person who brings it in? How does that whole process work? Because I know a lot of these dogs aren't brought in. They're not like made down the road, bred down the road, and then you get them picked up by Dev and they sort through them. You guys have very specific breeders and very specific programs. Um, The stuff that you can talk about, is there anything that um, people could know about that? I never got to go on a buy trip, but yeah, there's a lot of um, great breeders and vendors out there. There was uh, trainers of the command and other handlers that would go on buy trips and they would just go around the country and they would go getting from the different, best. getting the best. And they would, they knew what they were doing. They'd been in the dog world for a long time. They, they had great experience and they would, everybody has their own test to test the dog's working ability, the ball, the dog's fight, the dog's drive. I don't, you know, there's way more trainers out there that can explain this better than me. I say I'm a handler. I'm more of a dog handler. As far as dog training, I'm so-so. There's way better tra- trainers out there, you know, but there's guys that have their different tests. Uh, Mike Reaver, you know, at Adler Horses, the school that I went to out in California, they've been doing this for him and his father for, forever. Like, you know, they have... They're the best. Yeah, right. They are no joke. They're great. And uh, they have their tests that where they have learned over the years where, like, whether the nose poke test or something, I've heard different tests. You know, I, like I said, I don't... I never went on a buy trip and I... I'm a good handler, I would say. Not as far as training, you know. I don't know. I don't. I don't dive deep into all the different training methods, but there are different ways to test the the fight of a dog and whether he's going to be comfortable in dark rooms or slick floors, or if, if he's even going to search for a certain amount of time. You know, there's different things you want to look for. And we had great people at the command that would go overseas and they would go from vendor to vendor and they would test and test and test and test and then come back with a huge group of dogs. And those dogs would go through the dog selection process, the seal dog, whatever you want to call it. That's crazy. A lot of people don't realize that, that, you know, you have to have the right dog. And a lot of the dogs that don't make the cut, they they become law enforcement dogs. They become SWAT dogs. Mm -hmm. The list goes on. But um, these, you know, special missions units and special operations and special operations are only taking the best, the very best dogs that meet these certain parameters. Um, that's why they save lives. That's why they're so beneficial. And so you had Cairo. How long did you have Cairo before May 2nd of 2011? Quite a while. We went, I received Cairo in around 2008. Oh, wow. So you had him for a long time. 
I mean, in dog years. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get my memory right. So we lost Falco in 2008. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm looking at. And then when Falco, I was supposed to get Falco, he ended up laying down his life to save a couple guys. Since Falco died, I wasn't able to obviously be his handler when we returned home. So then I would have gotten Falco as soon as we returned home from that deployment. So yeah, 2008, I received Cairo. So you were supposed to get Falco. Falco was killed on an objective. Right before we got home. Save some dudes. Yeah. Um, you were supposed to get him, but then you took Cairo right after that. Yeah, since Falco passed, um, the <clears throat> trainers just got back from overseas and they had a large group of new dogs. So trainers had the new dogs. Uh, there was a couple of new SEAL handlers. We had a couple of new um, MA dog handlers, um, master at arms. We, we'd... Uh, they would come in and help us. They would handle dogs for us. And those guys would have to go through their own selection process too. Those guys were great. Yeah. Yeah. And so we would teach them SEAL skills and they would teach us handling skills because all they'd all been handlers before. So mm-hmm. they knew more what they were doing as far as handling dogs went. And uh, They just needed the gunfighting skills yeah, so to we, be able to mm-hmm. deal with stuff on target. Yeah. We learned off each other. I teach them stuff. They That's teach us cool. stuff. Yeah, it was really cool. And those are a great group of guys. Um, how, how many trips did you do with uh, Cairo? What you know, I'm assuming you do like one a year or something, yeah. even one plus a year. And so eight, you're looking at nine, ten, eleven. So you're looking at some rotations. So you already, he's already combat proven. Oh yeah, we did two deployments, three deployments. We, uh, I think we did two deployments. He got shot, did another deployment. Ended up coming home, and then that's when we got recalled to do the Bin Laden mission as so well. So you were with him when Cairo got shot? I was with him. I was handling him when he got shot, yes. So what, I, what happened in that circumstance? Going after, uh, we're head on our way to Target. Uh, the guys ended up fleeing. Uh, I think it was like four guys. Two guys hopped on one moped. Two guys hopped on another moped, and they split. We followed one uh, one bike. They ended up making it to a tree line. Couldn't drop bombs, so we ended up landing a safe distance away. We made it away, <clears throat> made our way up there. Tried to do the call out. They weren't listening, obviously. <laughs> Eventually, the call was made to send Cairo in. Um, tree line. There was a little kind of four, three, four foot brick wall. We were we could take cover behind, right by the tree line. So once the team leader uh, made the call, send send the dog. I, uh, I let Cairo off leash, send him into the wind to best where you can best use his nose. Uh, I was watching him as best as I could, but it was pretty thick vegetation. I lost him. I was on the right hand side of the line, and I knew he would be making his way to the left because that's what that's the way the wind was working. So I started making my way to the left and uh, trying to keep an eye on him. I, I eventually lost him. He got too thick. <clears throat> As I was looking, I just I heard AK fire, and uh, obviously we know what that sounds like by now. So I knew something was obviously going wrong. I had figured, you know, he'd, he found him, so or they had seen him and just started shooting at him. But I, what I'd figured is he had engaged, and I mean this happens all the time. This is how we lost Falco. Two guys in an ambush. Dog an- engages one guy, and his buddy shoots the dog. And I'm assuming that's probably what happened with Cairo. So we started. I started hearing AK fire. <clears throat> recall. I'm, I'm trying to recall Cairo. 
seems like forever. You know, I don't know how long it was. It was uh, long enough for me to realize something was wrong because Kyra's a great dog. He he listened pretty well. He, it was long enough to where I'm like, okay, something's wrong. He's not back here. He something's he he would be back here by now. Um, and did, did your guys open up yet? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man, how does oh, yeah. how does that feel, man? That's got to be. I remember Rick screaming for Vinny because Vinny screamed out loud, and just that feeling it gives me anxiety because I'm like. I want to get the dog back. I and, want to get the dog. And back. there's an exchange of gunfire. So yes. now it's like you're—he's in the middle of a gunfight, trying to make his way back to safe lines. What scared me was the AK fire. I didn't hear any explosions. Um, I, my guys are great. <laughs> you know. Yeah. They're gonna. Their shot placement's pretty good. Yeah. I've seen yeah. guys take shots on a dog. Okay. I've seen guys take shots on a guy with, with a dog on him from far away, and it's very impressive. So yeah. I wasn't too worried. The guy's shot placement was pretty good. You know, it's dark and it's all that stuff. But um, what scared me was the AK fire. You know, I know my guys are going to watch their shots. Um, and I, I recalled him as fast as I could. So I, I knew he was probably <clears throat> off of the bite at least. So he was probably at least away from that vicinity if he wasn't dead. Because mm -hmm. I was recalling him. I mean, he's probably going to start making his way back to me. Um, but it was very scary because you're screaming at this point through the gunfire because you got to be talking over the gunfire. Eh, I wasn't screaming. I was just using the little. Uh, we had the beep on the e collar. Oh, okay, okay. So I was trying to do that. Constant. I had a, a leg tap that I would use sometimes if I really because you got to be quiet. Yeah, can't, I can't just be screaming. Yeah. I mean, so the command is coming from his collar, mm -hmm. so he hears it, so he knows he's got to make his way back. There's a beep on the e collar, or yeah. I give him a little shock on the e collar if yeah. I really need to get out of there to save his life. Some dogs, you know, everybody's different. Every dog's different. Some dogs need, some dogs won't come off the bite. Yeah, on a beat, you have to manually. You pull have it. to give him a little juice. So Cairo, he probably he listened to the beat for the most part. Some dogs don't listen to the beat. Sometimes you just have to. You have the, what we call the titration level. It's their pain tolerance, and you find out just enough where you're not hurting the dog. Right above their tolerance. Yeah. Right above their tolerance. It's like their mom nipping their neck or you like hitting in the neck. Just stop it. Come yeah. back here. Listen. Hey, pay attention. I need you to pay attention to me. Uh, so I, re I was recalling them with that. You know, I, I might have I screamed his name. You know, things are a little blurry, but, you know, we usually don't scream in gunfights. I mean, sometimes we do. I remember trying to recall him with the e-collar for sure. And um, I was saying his name, but, you know, I probably wasn't screaming too much. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, I saw him. He had made his way. I know it's hard to see because there's no camera, but the wall made it to way, its way around the tree line to the, to the left-hand side, or I guess it's hard to explain. He ended up, he was shot through his leg and his chest. He couldn't get back over the wall, so he had to make his way all the way around. But he was coming. He was coming. It was yeah. just taking him forever because he couldn't jump, I guess, is what, is what yeah. we're assuming because he was shot in the leg. So he had to find a break in the wall is what took him so long. Oh. And he finally got back over the wall, and he had come around the left-hand side. And I, I looked to the left, and he made it back around the, the group of guys and was coming back towards me. Was he behind the guys? He's behind the guys. Oh so, my gosh! So the wall goes this way. We're all hiding behind the wall, but I think the wall took a left over there. Yeah, Kyra was somewhere over here, and I didn't see him jumping this way. All of a sudden, I see him coming from behind the guys. How'd that feel when you saw him? It was good to see him, but I was—I saw him as soon as I got to him. He collapsed. Oh, and I thought he was dead right there. 
Uh, yeah, so it wasn't a good feeling. So when I saw him, it still didn't, I wasn't exactly happy to see him. It was cool to see him, like, oh, there he is. And as I, I was making my way to him, I don't remember how far away I was, he just, he collapsed. And Malinois don't collapse. Yeah. He was like, he was dead. Like, he just dropped. And I'm like, fuck. I just thought he was dead. I'm like, well, he's dead. Um, usually, you know, just go get in the firefight. Obviously, that's your first priority. Even when a teammate gets shot, yeah. you know, if you're in a firefight, you got to stop the firefight before you give medical assistance. I knew that my guys had it. Yeah, the boys got the it. The boys so. got it. Yeah. You know, how many guys are in that tree line? Probably no more than two. Mm-hmm. I made my way over to Cairo, and luckily I did because he, he wasn't dead. He was still alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, made the call over the radio. One of my teammates who happened to be uh, 18 Delta Medic, fucking great guy. Awesome. Amazing man. guy. Um he knew he wasn't needed on the line. He ran back, and it was uh, it was cool to see that teamwork. Um, you know, we have medical kit just for the dog. I get to Cairo, and he's still alive. And I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe he's still alive. I, I come over the radio. He's wounded. Immediately, obviously, like, break out his kit. He's, I mean, there's nothing I can do. I got to get him. I got to start taking off his vest. But the first thing is get his medical kit out. And um, as it, it just worked out perfect timing. And when my teammate ran back, he knew Cairo needed assistance. He was a medic. He got there. And I was like, it was like perfect timing. I had his kit out and I handed it to him. And, you know, as I'm handing it to him, he's ripping open the bandages. As he's ripping open the bandages, I'm getting Cairo's vest off and putting on his muzzle. As soon as I had his muzzle on, he's stuffing his hand inside of his chest just enough to where like Cairo was going to bite him. And it wasn't like a, a ferocious bite. It's like, dude, you're shoving fingers inside of my chest. It hurts. It was like a yelp kind of like hit him with the muzzle. But it was um, really cool to see that kind of, it was a shitty situation. I mean, obviously I thought my dog was about to die. But to see that, all that training that we had done, all that teamwork, it was fucking flawless, man. Like I got to my dog, got his kid out. My buddy shows up. I'm like, oh, here you go. I get his vest off just in time for him to shove gauze into his chest as I put on his muzzle. And then, uh, you know, he, he saved his life, I would say. He uh, got him. We worked on him right there. Uh, called in for the medevac. Yeah, because people don't, and as a pause point, people don't realize that when a dog in special operations is wounded, it's like an American casualty. It's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. He's part of the family. Yeah. Yeah. The he's, tribe. He's part of the tribe. He's part of the family. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as we're getting him stabilized, even the helicopter pilots flew in under fire. Like we were still in the firefight. My guys were still taking care of the threat. They didn't, it was not secure. And those helicopter pilots didn't care. They came in just like a soldier. They picked him up. It's just a dog. You know, it's just one dog. And he's almost dead. You want to risk the helicopter pilot's lives in that bird to save a dog? That's, they did. They flew in, risked their lives to pick him up. I think there was a surgeon on the bird that worked on him. Uh, when we got back to base, actual surgeons worked on him like a soldier because there was no veterinarian there. Um, surgeons worked on him. They didn't have to. They saved him. Got him stable. And then we got him to the veterinarian, and uh, I didn't think he was going to make it through, man. He was rough. He was looking bad. So he had a chest. He was chest shot. Chest and arm. They had to put a metal plate through his arm, and his chest wasn't looking so good. They, the surgeons had to put in the, uh, two, two, tubes, in his, two tubes in his lungs. Um, so they had to 
do that. And then the, uh, the throat, the crike, crike, yeah. uh, drawing a blank. So they cracked him. Well, they, you know, they're, they're doctors. His tongue, he's going to choke on his tongue. They need him to, an airway, a clear airway. So there's a different way to get an airway. Um, the dogs have a flap in the back of their throat and you have to make sure the flap is in a certain position before they stick the tube in. And the doctors, you know, these are surgeons, yeah. you know, they're not veterinarians. They don't work on dogs. They, so they just tricked him, like saved his life. They're like, we kind of, they couldn't get an airway, couldn't get an airway. So they did that and they put tubes in his lungs and they saved him. And Jeez, they just man. did what they had to do to save him. I mean, he was shot through his chest. Like, wow. Yeah, he wasn't looking so good. And we got him to the vet and uh, they did what they did. And I, I didn't think he was going to make it. I, I lay there with him on the floor the whole night, obviously, because, I mean, I, if, if he was going to die, I wanted to be there. So Yeah. But he made it. It was crazy to see how quick he recovered. I, I don't think there's a... When Vinny was killed and, and, you know, I was flying back on a, a Task Force 160th bird and he was draped because we did recover his body afterwards. He was draped with the American flag. And when we landed, we had the whole task force outside because we, we, we came back when the sun was coming up. Yeah. And it was just as if an American soldier was killed. Yes. There was no difference. The same respect, the same honor. Um, Nothing was different. They so we saluted him as we took his body off the plane, right. and there's no. We always say because he's just a dog, but the reality is in that community in that culture, he's one of your mates. He's he's like a teammate. He is, and, yeah. and the coolest thing about dogs is they're the most selfless of mates because they don't think they only act defending their pack and that's the most uh, amazing thing about him and um it's interesting to me that he actually was shot and then what's more inspiring about it is he comes back fully recovered fully recovered <clears throat> how long did that take and what was kind of the process behind that we uh, hand him off to those great people at lackland they have a great facility there and they got him fully physical recovered. therapy everything yeah I was still on deployment. I didn't go home. He went home. I had a <clears throat> good buddy of mine, Mike Toussaint. He had lost a dog, uh, Rimco. He ended up getting a silver star. I think they both got a silver star for their actions that night. Um, Rimco just died saving guys. And uh, Mike was able to take Cairo home for me. And I, I stayed on that deployment. Ended up getting uh, the spare dog uh, named Bronco, mm. which is one of the dogs I was looking at getting it was between Cairo and Bronco were the two dogs that I wanted in the beginning when uh before I went to handler school wow yeah but I got to handle handle Bronco for a little bit but yeah you're right they um we you know they we treat them and they lay down their lives for us so we have servant memorial service for them I got thing I got a dog tattooed on me a lot yeah. of guys have dogs tattooed on them um their name goes up in the team room or their plaque goes up in the team room their name goes on the memorial wall you know, we have the specific memorial wall for the guys, and we have the specific one for the dogs yeah. right, right beside it. I know it's like, like you said, no different. I think at the unit, we do have in our memorial courtyard, we do have all the dogs. In fact, in fact, I remember Falco's name specifically because every dog in JSOC command is on that. That's awesome. Including Vinny, which is yeah. amazing, which is really yeah, cool. It really is. So let's lead up. You know, because there's lead up to this. May 2nd, 2011, um, Neptune Spear is one of the biggest. It is, w without a doubt, probably the biggest 
and most significant raid in the history of warfare. I don't I, like there are amazing raids. There's amazing things that have taken place in our history. But when you talk to operators, when you talk to special operations guys, the only raid that matters is that raid. Because you're talking about a man, Osama bin Laden, who killed over 3,000 people in a coordinated attack on September 11th, 2001. He's probably one of the reasons you're even in the Navy, or you went in the Navy. He's definitively one of the reasons, because I was in the infantry prior to 9-11, while I um, went back into the Army and decided to go to, into special operations, was because of those events. But it's most the most significant um, raid in the history of warfare, and you were on it. Um, and I know you look at it as, uh, whether you look at it as luck, timing, before this even takes place, you're not even in a condition or position at that time to even be on this. You had talked to me about, you know, you're at Yuma, you're in Freefall Jumpmaster School, and then you get the call. Walk us through some of that, some of those initial things that took place. Okay. We just gotten back from deployment. <clears throat> I was no longer going to be a dog handler. You know, you do a couple of rotations and then you go on to another duty. Um, I'd handed, <clears throat> excuse me, I handed Cairo over. He was staying within the squadron. He was just going to be a spare dog. And I knew the guys, they're going to take great care of him. So he was in good hands. I went out to free fall jump master school in Arizona with uh, one of my best friends, Nick Check. And uh, while we were there, I got a call from my team leader. He says, you have a flight out tonight. I need you to hop on that plane and tomorrow morning come in, grab Cairo. And I'm like, okay, cool. I don't care. I'm, you know, I'm 20 something years old. I've got nothing else going on. Uh, Did you, because you don't even have an idea why you're being recalled. I have no idea. I'm just like, cool, whatever. Whatever. Hey, I don't have to do jump master. <laughs> I love my team leader. He gives me a call. What do you need, bro? I'm there. I'm coming. <laughs> I go back to the classroom. I'm like, hey, Nick, we're going home. We're getting recalled. Something's going on. He's like, no, I'm, I didn't get a, I didn't get anything. And I'm like, huh. That was really weird. Just to be honest, like Nick was a way better guy than I was. He's a phenomenal operator. Like really good fucking dude. I'm like, huh. Why would they be calling me back and not you back? Huh. Like, if anybody's going to be called back, it's going to be you, bro. Like you're better than me. I was like we it must be the dog, but I'm like still it's still weird that like why is it and so I was like I don't care it doesn't matter and anyways you know Nick's my best friend and we got nothing but jokes so it was basically fuck you buddy you're stuck in Arizona by yourself <laughs> at the school <laughs> well he told everybody you quit and then yes <laughs> so he got me back so I'm like hey sucks for you man I'm gonna go home and hopefully do something cool you have fun here in Arizona and I was actually I was looking forward to spending some time with him he really wasn't. I loved him. Uh, but I'm like, ha, have fun stuck here by yourself. But yeah, the next day he got me back. Um, checking out was weird. It was, uh, I, I told him, the instructors, I'm like, hey, I, I got to go. My boss called. I got something going on back in Virginia. And they're like, no, I don't understand. And I'm like, I got to go. I got a plane ticket. I just need to check out of the course. And it was weird. Like, you need to go to this building and check out of this and this and this. And I'm like, okay. 
and I had a pl- the, the t- ticket was already bought. So I'm like, I'm not changing my ticket or calling my boss back and being like, hey, we had. So yeah. I went to the office and nobody was there. And the late, some lady was, or some person was like, hey, you need to come back at this time and we'll get you to do this and this. And I'm like, this is real world mm, right now. <laughs> I'm out. And then <laughs> I went, I was like, basically, what are they going to do? They're going to call my boss and yeah. he's going to explain. He's going to explain better than I can. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. But then, yeah, so uh, I just kind of took off. I didn't officially just take off. I mean, I let everybody know. I'm like, hey, I got to go. Um, but I guess nobody in the class knew. So when Nick shows up the next day, I'm like, hey, where's your, uh, where's your teammate? We're the only two SEALs in the whole class. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, he quit. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course you did. Thanks, buddy. He told me immediately afterwards. He's like, hey, by the way, I told everybody you quit. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course you did, dude. Thanks. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, yeah. this is early. This is earlier, obviously, than the than the time period of the raid, because you guys got to prep. I mean, you guys got to do a lot of. You're, you're getting in the position to get everything ready and prepared. Are you? When you find out, are you mentally prepared for this, or are you? Are you like this is just game time? This is just another day. Just another day. So all the things that you do normally is the same. I don't care. I'm. Yeah. I don't care what's going on. I, it's gonna. I hope it's something fun. Yeah. Freefall Jumpmaster School would have been cool. It's a good check in the box, and I would have been. But I didn't really want to. Yeah, that's I a mean, painful school. It can uh, be. Yeah. I'm sure it would have been fun. I would have kind of made it fun. I got to be there. But what are we gonna go do? I, it's just another day. My boss calls me and tells me we're gonna we have something going on. Uh-huh. I don't care what it is. I got nothing else going on. Some twenty something years old i don't have a family and this is my life do was, whatever you gotta do i don't care what it is it's probably gonna be pretty cool and i get to go do it with all my best friends let's go and uh when you find out what it is what, what was your what was your thinking what's going through your head when you find out <laughs> it, it was um i would have gave my left I mean, testicle at dude, the time like, to, you, to be on that rate. it was unbelievable like okay yeah. It got real serious real quick. I mean, it's always serious, but yeah. then it's like, okay, all right, let's pay attention here. Well, what's going on? Because <laughs> you're the, there's only one dog on this op, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason I was chosen. I was, you know, the only reason I was chosen for the mission was because of the dog. There was way better guys than me. And I was just, Cairo was an amazing dog. He was hard to replace. All the dogs were amazing. It's hard to replace a dog like that, like we talked about. There's yeah. not, there's a lot, we have dogs, but, you know, I felt like I was easier to replace in Cairo for sure. There's a lot of great guys on that team. Uh, but he was the only dog on that team, yeah, on the mission. The most senior guys in Dev are getting selected to do this. Right. You know, that's open source. We, we're not talking anything classified. In fact, we referenced this conversation in advance about things that were passed through the Navy in the first place. But for this conversation, a lot of this stuff is important to talk about because it's history, like significant history, not only in modern warfare and special operations, but in world history. For sure. I mean, you got the most, the head of the snake of the most advanced and sophisticated terrorism network in the world, who's still active, um, even at this time is, is highly active. And you get the word that you're about to be on this this raid in the time between you get notified and you find out 
what you're going to be taking place in and before you actually go and advance and stage and and infill, how is that trainer process or how is that procedure and process leading up to it? Did you feel comfortable prior to infill? And was it just an every day at work or was there something different about this experience that made it stand up? Both is every day at work, but it was more intense. We might've overtrained. We were just trying to be as prepared as, we're always as prepared as possible. So it's kind of like every single day we knew, we, we knew who we were going after is a little different. We knew the stakes might be a little higher. We when we, most guys figured we, a lot of guys wouldn't make it home. Mm. Something was, was that talked about beforehand? Oh, like for sure. Everybody, you made sure everybody had, your will done in your life insurance policy. Everybody wrote letters to their kids and their wives. Wow. It was just, the chances are a little bit higher, I would say, you know? Yeah, we're not talking about a low-level scumbag HVT. We're right. talking about it, the head of the snake. It's always a dangerous job. Yeah. But this is, you know, we that was what was different. We, we were always training, always being prepared. And then for the, the only thing I would say would separate this is um, we knew who we were going after and we just planned for every contingency that we could possibly plan for. But we, honestly, <clears throat> everything that we planned for, it didn't happen. And the guy still crushed it. Like, you know, didn't even yeah. skip a beat. It actually worked out better. You own from, so we, you plan all these contingencies and you plan for every single thing. And then when you get there, Murphy's Law happens. And it didn't, it, whatever you planned for didn't happen. But the guy's are so good. They're so tuned so in. So good. Even the pilot, the pilot didn't crash the bird. The pilot said he could fly the helicopter out of there. Everybody, the intel people that put that stuff together, crushed it. The helicopter pilots got us there, crushed it, and the guys didn't even skip a beat. He almost went from a near-death experience, a helicopter crash, to getting immediately off and going after one of the most high-value targets ever and uh, nailed it. I think that's the kind of caliber of people we're talking about. So talk to me through your your mindset when you're on infill. Because we talk about this routinely in podcast and education. Me and you could be on a MH60 infilling into an HVT's target or objective, and we're sleeping. And we're dozing off, we're bored, we're not even paying attention. But when we get that one-minute out call, things shift. Mm-hmm. We get into a flow state. Things become very visual, very aware or situational awareness increases. Like all these apparatuses that we've been trained and tuned into, when that bird lands, it's go time. Mm-hmm. What What is your mindset as you are infilling and you get the one minute alcohol? Like you said, it was. I tried to sleep. <clears throat> I had Rob right across from me, Rob O'Neill. So I'm trying not to look at his ugly face the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, just sleep. And then, like you said, in that ten minutes, all right, take off the <clears throat> take off the music. Time to wake up. <clears throat> and then, you know, we planned so much beforehand, but you just try to stay calm and relaxed the whole time, like any other normal night. And then once you get there, a couple minutes out, then you start going through your things, your checklists. Uh, you don't want to mess this up. So mm-hmm. then uh, you just get prepared. And like you said, just get in that float, flow state. Just try to get just calm, relax, breathe. You know what you're doing. Just get out there and um, do your job to the best of your ability. 
But I mean, just getting that mindset of that one minute, you're going from sleeping to waking up and doing your job. Talk me through infill. You're 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 on a helo and you you go to infill. Talk me through like the process of like what the, the some of the things that you observed and as you guys are infilling into the objectives. I slept the whole time. Did you? Yeah, buddy. Hell yeah. I tried to at least. I, I mean, okay. I listened to music <clears throat> when I wasn't sleeping. It was it was a, it was a long ride. So I like I said, I, I, you're not talking to anybody. I had my headphones in. And I just tried, like, what were you listening to? I listened to country rock on the, on the, like the last song in, it was money talks by ACDC. I cranked it up. It's like, you know, you can't mess around for too long. This is a big deal, but I'm listening to some music, you know, we're, you know, money talks, ACDC was the last song before you hit. Yeah. yeah. You know, I got at at a certain time I cut the music off and it's, you know, put it away and it's business. You check everything. But the last song I was like, we guess we still got time. And it just happened to come on. I crank it up and it's money talks as we're flying and it was like i was thinking in the air tonight by phil collins that's i was just that's a good one too (laughs) so then those are it's actually that song on the way in and then uh on the way out it was it's a great day to be alive by travis tritt nice so i used to listen to that song with uh falco all the time like i love falco he'd be sitting next to me on the helicopter and listen that song after operations and uh i couldn't do it after he died yeah but after that, after that, it, I just I was shuffling through, and it just happened to come on, and I had literally had not listened to that song since I just couldn't listen to that song since he died. But it was the perfect fitting moment for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the per- perfect way to remember. It was. That's amazing. It man. really was. That was a pretty cool little. I know it might sound a little cheesy, but that was like no, that's it was weird how that song just came on. That's yeah. like cool. And we just killed Bin Laden, so it, it was a great day to be alive. <laughs> so the things that you can't talk about. Um, you know, via the experience that you had in the book, um, that you know obviously was redacted. What can you talk about on the infill as as far as the moving pieces of what your what your role was? What, what was your specific role in the objective, and 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 how did you maneuver about the objective? I just say most of the time I said I was just there to babysit Cairo. <clears throat> I watch him. I. I uh... Uh, my role that night, you know, Cairo's was dual purpose, explosive and man, man odor. My job was to get off of the helicopter and let him do his job. First was to do sweeps of the perimeter, make sure there wasn't any IDs, any escape tunnels, anything weird. Just let him do his job. I'm watching Cairo. We Once we do a couple laps, make sure everything's secure. Um, crowd control. There was We were fine then, so I made my way to the inside try to make my way into this little weird chicken coop thing and got caught up in some stuff. It wasn't anything I held up for a second. And then I, and I went around and I went into the main building. I was just trying to clear stuff with the dog that, you know, they might pick up on some scent end up being nothing. So that was weird going around that and then end up going into the building and then doing the same thing. Just there was glass and stuff all over the floor. So I'd have to pick up Cairo in certain areas and, you know, dogs will engage dead bodies sometimes. And you don't want Cairo, I didn't want Cairo to get into the mode. I want him to stay in explosive odor mode. And if he's biting somebody, he's not going to concentrate on explosives. So I'm trying to maneuver him through the building and not getting him, there was glass. So I was just trying to not get him injured and uh, let him do his sweeps. And he was looking for explosives and he, I mean, come on, he's got a hidden wall. He's got to have some kind of safe room, right? He's going to be something, but, uh. We did sweeps of the first floor and second floor, and then 
you know, eventually I was up there and I saw Rob. And Rob was like, I think I got him. I was like, I think I just shot that motherfucker. I'm like, cool. I'm still working. I'm like, cool. <laughs> it's good to hear. Like, I don't know nothing. He said it to you in person. Yeah, we're just, we're working. I'm yeah, doing yeah. sweeps. Yeah, I saw him. Wrong. He's like, I think I just shot that fucker. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm still working. <laughs> like, we're not done. And then, yeah. uh, and then the call came over the radio. And that's when it's official. I and mean, then they're not going to make that call over the radio unless it's like, it's. Was the call jackpot? Geronimo. It was Geronimo. Was the, yeah, that's right. Geronimo. Because and, it had to be very specific to him. Right. And then once I came over the radio, it's like, oh, hey, you weren't lying. Hey, good. We got it. This was, isn't a dry hole. This isn't right. just. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, when those, and then once that radio call. Wow. Once I came over there, you know, it's a. Uh, it didn't matter if it, for me personally, if I didn't make it back home, it's okay. We, we accomplished the mission. It's like, it's done. Yeah. You know, it, at that get, time, you could have ended life and been happy. It's done. Just, yeah. It's like, it's done. Okay. It's official. It's done. Even if I didn't see the body, the call came over the radio. I trust my guys. They're not going to make that call without it being done. Once soon as I heard the, the call, it's like, okay, it's done. Cool. Now, there is discrepancy between his pseudonym, Mark Owens, and Rob, who took the shot that ended his life. But from your perspective, I said, Cairo did it. Cairo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Cairo might bring a shot. Of those guys know that Cairo was there <laughs> and he did it. They it was a dog bite. <laughs> no, it was a dog. <laughs> but I mean, both those guys are. I looked up to both those guys. They were great. And there's, I say this all the time. I, I can't say it enough. The guys were amazing. Both those guys did heroic actions. Everybody on that target did heroic actions. No matter who, who cares who took the shot, anyways. Like, I know, right? It's like it doesn't matter. What about the intel people? Those people did an amazing job. What about the helicopter pilot? What about the support people that helped us get there? Yeah. Everybody did an amazing job. The case officers, yeah. Everybody. It wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for everybody. So uh, yeah, good job. Somebody pulled the trigger, and um, it didn't matter that there was other bad people on that compound that died that night, mm -hmm. and that other people did other heroic stuff. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just him, you know. It, it, there was a heroic stuff. One guy grabbed the two women because he thought he was about to explode. They, 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 the women came out of the room. So he tackled the he women. He tackled the women into the corner to save to save his teammates. Luckily, the women didn't exp didn't blow up. But he was just like, I talked to him afterwards. He's like, I thought, he's like, I knew it. I grabbed him and I just was waiting for him. To climb was, off. That's it, man. He was just trying to get him away from the rest of the guys so they could get past him. Like wow. That. So, you know, you can say whoever took the shot. It doesn't matter. Cairo killed him. But <laughs> everybody on that team is uh, amazing. Were you on the Hilo that crash, that did the crash? I was never on a Hilo crash. Never in my whole career. So that, that one Hilo that did crash, there were some heroic actions from the pilot. Dude, that yeah. guy was like, I'll fly this thing out of here. I didn't hear him say that specifically, but it, those guys are awesome, man. You know the deal. Those oh, guys yeah. are the best of the, the best. The best man. of the best, man. They, Their skill set is insane. He didn't, he, he, yeah, it is. He, he kept it up he, and hovering. He, uh, that thing could have, the circumstance could have turned out way worse. Oh, yeah. That thing could have, yeah. Was anybody injured on that objective? Nobody was, uh, yeah, I think some, a little bit, but nobody talks about it. Yeah. I think a little bit, maybe some frag or something. But nobody... But nothing significant. No, nothing. I don't think so. When, well, when you get the call, Geronimo, 
and I'm assuming you saw the body for yourself. What was that going through your head? Like, I mean, I, you know, I fantasized. I was in the unit at the time when this happened, and I fantasized about that. Like, dude, I, I knew many people in special operations who would have given anything to be on that op. And when that happened, I imagined myself there when that moment took place. Because, I mean, that's what propelled a lot of us into service in the first place. Mm -hmm. What was your reaction when you saw him? I mean, at what moment? <clears throat> I was like, I, when I heard the call, obviously that was a great moment. And then I remember seeing the guys taking him away onto the helicopter. And I was like, that's cool. And the guys got him and they're taking him. Put it on. You know, the mission's not over until you get home. Yeah. So, and we had, we were on a time crunch. We had to get out of there. Like, oh, yeah. We had time to mess around. So there wasn't really time to like, looking back on it now, there's things that I wish I would have done differently. I wish I would have absorbed more. Like, I don't even kind of remember what the inside of the house looks like. We're moving so fast, moving, just working. I'm looking for dangerous items. I'm not messing around, you know. We're working quick. We're on a timeline. We got to get out of there. But, um. When it really hit me, you know, I remember specific moments as I'm still working, like, you know, hearing the call and then seeing the guys and then, you know, but I'm still working. I'm still busy. I'm still not trying to like, it's the same thing as when they say, like, you don't watch the dog on a dog bite. You're still got a job to do, yeah. right? If you watch the dog, everyone wants to, wants to watch the dog get in a fight. Yeah. Yeah, maintain security but, and heads up. But then somebody over there is going to come out, you know, you got to do your job. So that's what, it, you know, I was trying to do for the most part. But when it really hit me, when we got back to the, when we landed and we got back to the hangar and then it's like, I remember walking into the hangar, it's all bright and just looking around and uh, like everybody's here. It's like, we really like honestly didn't, we thought somebody would make it home, if not all of us. Like, we were pretty certain something bad was gonna happen, right? So it was cool to see like, we landed in the hangar looking around and the mission is accomplished, it's done. He's there and everybody's alive. Wow. And it was like, that was when it really hit me. Like, everybody's okay. And we did it. And I got to do it with Cairo. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's by your side. I got to do it with my dog. Did you? Did they PID him in the hangar? I'm assuming they did. They did. They, yeah. did, they did all their stuff to make sure it was confirmed. And, you know. it, that always makes me nervous, right? Because there's conspiracy theorists who are like, that, he's, that's not him. He's just somebody else. He's just the <laughs> bad guy. But when you hear somebody like you who's seen him and can confirm... That's him. Oh, he's dead. Oh, yeah. And the people, they made sure. There was a lot of people yeah. to um, make sure it was him multiple times over. <laughs> yeah. Multiple times They're over. They're doing everything they can. Everything. They made 100% sure. And, yes. And everybody saw him, too. His face might have been a little broken, but you knew who it was. Yeah. Yeah. There's the pictures that came out. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of pictures that come out. <laughs> Are those fake? Yeah. They're all fake. There are no pictures. There are no pictures. Was that something that you guys decided on in the beginning that you guys... Somebody decided that. Yeah. And everybody respected that. Yeah. And then there might be a picture, but none of us have it. So, I mean, maybe the guys do, but I sure shit don't. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want it. Yeah. Because, I mean, there were certain people that just didn't want that out. So, cool. I'm just happy to be a part of the mission and we accomplished it. And that's cool with me, you know. And now I get to write a book about my dog and tell his 
tell Cairo's story. I mean, it's awesome. We're a big part of history and bring attention to just everybody on that team, everybody that had something to do with that mission. It gets to just, you know, I know there's other books written about it, but this is a little different. Um, it puts Completely the, different, yeah. It shines a light on the dog, too. I mean, he was the only dog. It was a big piece of history, and Cairo really was a great dog. So, Before we get into the, the book, because I'm, I'm so interested in the book, and, and I, I downloaded it last night, okay. uh, No Ordinary Dog. Um, let's talk about the instance in which, look, you were just on the biggest raid in, in history, and you get back, and you're back to work. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. <laughs> it's not like Mm-mm. you know you win the medal of honor, you earn the medal of honor, and then you're you're cycled and you're like doing a speaking engagement. Nope. You just go back to work. It was right back to work. We uh, no, it was like a week of uh, we made the rounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that went real quick. And then yeah. it's, no, no, it did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, nobody really. I mean, it's cool to get to do that and experience, but all the guys wanted to just get back to work anyway. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> it, it lasted for you know a week, two weeks, whatever. It was really cool to, to meet everybody, and it was an honor. But business right, as usual. Business as usual. Right after that, back to business. <laughs> so do you go back on the next deployments with Cairo? No, I was done with Cairo after that. Um, they reti- did they retire? He was still working, so he was a spare dog. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had started, I had some drinking issues, mm-hmm. and I had to go to, uh, I messed up. I had to. Uh, pay my price, pay my penance. Mm-hmm. And um, once I did that, I didn't have Cairo anymore, but I, I got to go on the next deployment. And uh, on that deployment, I was injured by a hand grenade. Somebody threw a hand grenade out the second story window. It got me and a couple of guys. Everybody survived, you know, but... Um, but you ate a grenade. Yeah. But, you know, it could have been way worse. Guys get way worse injuries, but it did get, get hit by a grenade, and it, it rocked me pretty good. You know, everybody made it, everybody survived. But um, after that, it was, I had, my, my hair had fallen out twice before from alopecia. It was after a, a loss of Nick and extortion. Yeah. Hair, hair fell out right after that, like big patches. So what do you think that was caused by? Stress. Yeah. You know, I'm not a doctor, but it's pretty easy. It's so it right. happened after extortion 17? The first time was extortion and it happened and it was really weird. I thought, actually, I thought somebody had shaved me. <laughs> thought somebody had shaved a big bald spot in my head, pulled a prank on me. And no, it was my immune system from stress. It's attacking myself or whatever. It's alopecia. And uh, so that was weird. No big deal. We're still working. I had a comb over. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Guys yeah. are, we're in like a, I remember being at like a command meeting or whatever. And I'm like all in my dress uniform, have my hat off. And I got this big bald spot with a comb over. And guys are sitting there poking me, poking my bald spot, <laughs> making fun of me. And I'm like, all right, guys. <laughs> They're like, what's that? <laughs> Fuck you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I shaved it because I usually had it shaved anyway. So I'm like, all right, we're shaving it. Yeah. But it, I learned guys like, oh, yeah, I got that in my beard. A lot of guys had it in their beard, big chunks. It's a... Because of stress. Stress. Yeah. And it's not that hard to figure out. I mean, and then Nick passed away and it did it again. What was Nick's uh, full name? Nick, Nick Nicholas Check. How was he killed? Uh, he was on a saving American hostage. He was on a mission to save. Uh, I think it was a doctor that had been captured. Mm-hmm. I forget his name, but um, they got to the compound, and uh, when they got there, somebody was at the door. They had seen him. A sentry. 
I don't remember exactly. I think somebody might have taken some shots, but um, they obviously knew that they were there, and Nick didn't hesitate. He walked. There was a hostage in there. You can't mess around. Uh, Nick went in and got shot in the head. Saving the hostage. Yeah. The hostage came home. Yeah. Yeah. Was that in uh, Somalia? No. No, that was Afghanistan. Afghanistan, yeah. that's right. No, some guys came on him, but he, he didn't skip a beat. He went right into the door, and he was on, he, they, uh, they knew he was, they knew we were there, so they were ready, and he was the first man through the door, and they got him. But the guys behind him uh, did some very heroic stuff, and they saved the doctor. So when that happened, the extortion 17 happens, there's periods of a career in special operations where I don't want to say it catches up with you, but things start to accumulate. Oh, dude, the wheels were falling off. Yeah. Yeah, the wheels fell off hard. What were the indications for you that the wheels were falling off? Well, the first was the hair. And then I was like, I didn't even pay attention because we were still working. I didn't care. Yeah. I'm like, cool. You're like, whatever. Whatever, bro. Like... Yeah. Um, but now I look back on it, I'm like, what the fuck? My hair fell out twice. Should have paid attention. Um, my fingernails fell out once. Oh, that was weird. I don't know what the, I don't know what that was from. Yeah. What's well, the same tie into your, maybe your hair. Yeah, probably. Um, so I was seeing that, but I was still mentally, I guess, I think I was, I was boozing a lot. I was self-medicating with alcohol from, mm. I don't know, all the whatever stress. You're just numbing from, yourself. Numbing myself for sure. Yeah. I think that self-medicating and then all the concussive, <clears throat> concussive blasts over the years, you know, all the breaching, all the hard hits, the skydiving, you know, hard openings, um, rockets we shoot. I think all that stuff accumulated and then that grenade injury was just the tipping point. And that was like, after that, things just weren't the same. I started getting really bad migraines. Like that was, those were shitty. <laughs> Yeah. Those have gotten way better these days. And those are stress. I would say those are stress. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't realize, depending on where you operate, is going to be the determining factor of your longevity in what we're talking about. Because you could be in the regular army and deploy once, maybe twice. But not being exposed to blast, not being exposed to combat, to trauma, to losing comrades, to, the list goes on. You could do that forever. But when you do it constantly, hmm. and then you're constantly losing friends, you're constantly getting blown up, you're constantly engagements, and it never stops, there's going to be a time in which you have to take a knee. I think so. I think some guys might be able to do it. I couldn't, and I, I don't. I take a lot of personal responsibility for this too because I was, you know, I was the one drinking and that wasn't helping anything. Yeah. Right. So. I don't think yeah. anybody's immune to it, man. No. I, I honestly, I've seen the, the, the best men I've ever respected in the same circumstance and it's only a matter of time. Right. Yeah. And, and that's just, and honestly, if we, if we just, if we kind of go about it that way and we understand that at the end of the cycle, that is what's going to happen, then we could be better prepared for it. I, I agree. Do some uh, pre-screenings when you sign up. 
Absolutely. see where your brain, how your brain is functioning. Yeah. And then keep evaluating however, whatever makes sense every year, every two years. And then, um, yeah, yep. I think that would be a very good idea because, um, the transition out after all that stuff, the grenade blast kind of put me over the edge. I had great, great team leaders that really cared about me and put me through everything that they possibly could to help me. Everything, like <laughs> everything that they had, they tried. Yeah. And it just didn't work. Between the migraines and the memory loss and the, all the other you know, back pain, all, everybody has the back shoulder pain, whatever. Um, but the memory loss and the migraines and the, that was real tough. And then uh, anxiety, started getting anxiety. I guess mm. if your brain's not working right, something... I don't know, man. The anxiety was like, what do I have anxiety for? Like, nothing's going on. Like, yeah. Like, it's, I, I've kind of dug into this myself. I've had anxiety attacks on airplanes and uh, just random places. Your thyroid is activating that neurological sympathetic nervous system to help you perform. And that could be you free falling or jump mastering a free fall. That could be happening on a combat operation, but there's a, activation period that takes place but when you're done and you're not doing that your system because it's so used to going into that mode doesn't know how to react right. so now it's just running on autopilot yep so it's doing it when you don't want to in instances where you're like now nah, i'm crazy because it's just activating on its own but that's just that system man it's it has nothing to do with because i have no control i mean i've been on planes where i've had panic attacks yeah. and i've been like you know, a halo jump master, free fall, right. you know, advanced free fall guy, and just never had instances of issues. But now I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just a civilian sitting in between a couple people on a plane right. with no control, which is hard because we're used to having operational control. How was your transition getting out? It's terrible. I'm surprised I'm still alive. I hear that from everybody. That's I common, know. right? Oh yeah, that was uh, a. <clears throat> so I got about, I got up to about two hundred fifty pounds, and I was drinking myself to death. Just to numb the pain. Oh yeah, I mean, I medicated with something. Yeah, I, I didn't, I'm not, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like all the meds the VA or the other meds trying to put me on. I didn't want to do all that stuff, but I, I definitely drank too much. But um, transition out was tough, man. I got out. I've lost my family, you know, those guys, I love those guys. And then my brain, man, it's just, I drank myself out of a job right after that. And uh, I went home and I'm, it's hard when it's your own brain. Cause I'm like, I used to be pretty smart. I mean, maybe not the smartest guy in the world, but I used to be pretty, I used to be a pretty high functioning individual. And now I am like, I can't hold down a job and I'm staring at the wall for like an hour at my mom's house because I can't figure out what's going on it was uh it was pretty frustrating so was a lot of that has to do with cte which is literal brain damage right and we, this yeah. is new for the military period right. because they've never seen long-term effects of this i mean what's disgusting to me in a in a way is the nfl is very good at identifying this because they've dealt you know, they're dealing with millionaire, the millionaire club, right? So they, mm -hmm. they're dealing with professional athletes who have this CTE and this brain damage from traumatic brain injury. But for the military, it's kind of a, we're just now figuring it out. Mm -hmm. How did you find, because you're thin now and 
you you seem squared away now. You've obviously been through some shit. How did you get through that? So one of my best friends, uh, Jared Shaw, I was secluding. I ended up, you know, finding a place in the middle of nowhere, just doing nothing. Um, but buddy Jared reached out to me and brought me to one of my first brain treatment places through the Brain Treatment Foundation. Those people are amazing. Uh, her name is Kara Williams. She's she always goes above and beyond helping veterans. Um, that was my first step. Uh, doing a treatment called transcranial magnetic stimulation. Uh, I was uh, I was there for it's quite a while. I think I don't know. It's hard to say a month or two. But I was there for a while. But that was my first step. Um, I think it was a, it's a good modality. I think there's a whole bunch of different modalities to try. I think um, that was my first step on a long journey of diff- trying different things. I think like um, I'd heard like intermittent fasting. Like you know, I, I heard about one of one of the guys that was actually the, the guy I, I highly respected and loved. Told me about it. He just didn't, he didn't call it intermittent fasting. He called it something else while I was still in the teams and I didn't listen to him. I'm like, oh yeah, just kind of went right over my head. But then I heard it in some other context and I tried it again and I lost 70 pounds, you know? And I'm not saying that was like one thing, that's just one modality, you know, everybody, everybody knows their diet is very important in brain health, but I think there's other things out there too that can help with that. Um, the TMS treatment might be an option, it might not be, everybody's different. You know, every situation is going to be different, but I know there's a whole lot of good people out there and there's a whole lot of modalities that you should try. Uh, breathing and meditating has been a, a huge one for me that I try to do Con- consistently, man. If I get up and if I don't work out, at least if I get up and I breathe and I meditate and I pray for a little bit, that is uh, for 10 minutes. Give myself at least 10 minutes to do that. And then... Um, Keeps you in the right headspace. At least do that. Gets you in the right headspace. At least it's something. And then if I can do more than that, I think there's all kinds of good stuff with the uh, hot, <clears throat> like, like sauna therapy I've heard about. You know, there's mm-hmm. heat shock protein stuff I haven't really dug into. There's, I think, uh, cold plunges and cryotherapy. Mm-hmm. I think there's really good benefits to that and incorporating some breathing. I, you know, I've, I've tried to dig into that a little bit. I need to do better. Think, uh, any inflammation in the body? So like your diet, if you're getting, if you're getting fat, inflammation in the body is bad. Uh, anything that... so eat better food it's better for your brain cbd is helps with inflammation mm-hmm. I, I, think I do that, that all the time yeah, yeah. perfect yeah. i think any inflammation um there's all kinds of different things to try and i think uh you know a couple of these things have helped me out and it, but if it wasn't for my best friend i, I probably wouldn't have went like he had to so i, I, I tell people like if, you, if you're in a bad place reach out to somebody but i didn't <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. You're not going to a lot of people. A lot of people aren't going to. Maybe you will, but I mean, I say like if you know of somebody that's in a bad place, reach out to them, and just I don't know, see if you can't help. And uh, I mean, one of the reasons of writing the book is to tell Cairo's story. It's a piece of history. Um, Bring attention to what these amazing working dogs do in their foundations, and then also tell my story, and bring attention to to some of these modalities that can help veterans. If, if, if telling my story can help a little bit, then, you know, it's not easy for me to do, but I, I gotta have purpose again, you know, and that is yeah. definitely a good purpose. That's exactly, yeah. 
that that's in in a nutshell that's what it is right you, yeah when you serve in special operations you have the highest pinnacle of purpose in a warrior's heart and mind than you could ever serve in there's nothing that can compare to that mm-hmm. but when you get out you have choices and the men who make the choices to give back and to be selfless as they were or as close as they can be when they served is the only life to live. And I always tell people who are working for like, I don't know, working for some company doing executive protection. Like, dude, for free, I would do what I do, which is try to give back and talk about preparedness and put people in the right state of mind to maybe potentially save somebody's life. Right. If we didn't have that, if you didn't have the book and know that you were giving back, there would be no purpose in life. And that's why a lot of us check out. Because why live when you have nothing to live for, when you feel like you're no asset to the people around you? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I used to say I wish I died after the Bin Laden mission all the time. I did. I don't think that way anymore. But for a long time there, I was like, I fucking should have just ended it there. <laughs> yeah. Ended on a high note. Like, after that, a lot of bad things happened. Intermittent fasting has helped, helped me because it? it's helped with cognition. Like, yeah. Right? Because the sugar and the <sighs> the carbohydrates just saturates the brain. And dude, I, me and Kevin are borderline, and I hate to say this word, but it just affiliates with it. It's like retarded. I mean, we're just sitting there staring at each other. We say things, we forget things, and we're looking at each other like a, a bunch of old dudes with <laughs> with dementia, and we're young, right. relatively speaking. Right. It's no, no, crazy. Prime. In our prime. <laughs> if we were civilians, we never experienced the trauma. We'd, we'd be in our prime. We'd be CEOs of companies Dude. crushing it. Yeah, buddy. What, so this, let's talk about the book because that, when I, when I think about purpose, people always ask me, they're like, you know, do you think a book's a good idea? Or, or even talking about special operations. I think it's the best idea. Because when I grew up, the only reason I became a special forces guy and served as long as I did because of what I read as a young man. Exactly. You know, John Plaster, uh, a Mac V. Saw guy. Reading about Mac V. Saw and long range patrol guys in Vietnam is what drove me to do what I do. Somebody has to pick up that torch. Somebody has to influence and inspire the next generation of warriors. And so I hate yeah. when people are like, well, you know, I hate when commands are like, you shouldn't have wrote that book. You shouldn't. You should be talking about the command. Well, you know what? It is our mission after the fact, especially with serving in the longest period of war in the history of modern warfare, to inspire the next generation, especially now, man. I agree. And people <clears throat> aren't doing shit. I, I, I completely agree with you. I, I, you know, Navy SEALs, the movie is why. I'd be no, but for real. I'm, me too. No, no, like, yeah. that that inspired me to like look and go. I want to be like those men. It was well done. Right. But reading the books, and I would know exactly. Yeah. Like just seeing that, I, I agree one hundred percent. And um, I I felt the same way when I was in when um the books came out. I'm not. I was just nervous of like what's going to be in there and what are you going to say and is it going to. But when I read it, and it's like okay, and then especially getting it approved through the Department of Defense just to make sure. I do love my guys, and I don't want to make anybody mad. And I love the Navy. I'm the same way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to, like, this is a piece of history. Yeah. It's an honor to be able to be tell a story um, and bring attention to the dogs. And then if I can help other veterans, then yes, please. But I don't want to 
I don't want to make any of my teammates mad. I'm the same way. I no, always think about like, their opinion is the only opinion that matters. Of course. If one dude hits me up and is like, Mike, I don't like what you, whatever you want me to do, right. I'll take it down. I don't care. Like, as long as you guys are in, are seeing me in a good light, I'm not a shit bag. Yes. I'm not PNG'd. I'm, I'm, I feel okay. There are certain guys that I, I respect highly. Yeah. And I do care about their opinions. And there are guys who are in charge that made our jobs not so great. And they made the, a lot of guys' lives miserable. Mm-hmm. And I don't really care what their opinion is. My purpose is to help other veterans and to help the teammates that I really love. Mm-hmm. If uh, the people that made our lives miserable, for some reason, have a problem with me writing a book Fuck to, help, to help the guys that I really do love and care about, you know, I'm sorry. I don't care. No Ordinary Dog is the name of the book. Cairo passed away in 2015. Is that right? 2015. Yeah. So talk to me about Cairo um, and his passing. And then what was the inspiration behind assembling this book? Because that's a big feat, man. It's a, it's a different... I look at it, all the things that we do and it's very easy. When you talk about writing a book and putting it together and making it what it is, it's a difficult thing to do. It took... <clears throat> three years, I think three or four years to do. Um, I was fortunate enough to get hooked, hooked up with Joe Layden and uh, he made the process a lot better. You know, it's not easy. I'm not a big talker. You know, I just, I'm not, especially when it comes to talking about stuff like this, but working with him and I'm not a writer either. <laughs> so for me to just tell him the story and him put it together so well, it is just, I mean, he really did a great job. It's like a Navy SEAL Marley in me. You know, it's, I only had one shot at writing this book and it's a pretty big piece of history, right? So you only got one shot and I am very happy with how it turned out. And if I would have written it by myself, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have done Cairo justice. It'd be a picture book with, t- with pop-ups. Coloring book, maybe, yep. Cairo goes to the market. <laughs> pop Like a, like a <laughs> Clifford book. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which would have been a hit too. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> we could do those later. Exactly. So what's the but overall objective of, of this book? To tell Cairo's story, to tell the truth. Well, uh, after the mission, his, um, his name was released in the media and then people started writing articles that maybe weren't completely accurate. <laughs> hey, nothing against them, whatever. Um, even some people might've said, that they had him. Hmm. It, yeah, it was weird. Um, it's a big piece of history. I love my dog. Everybody loved Cairo. I'm telling a story. It's like you said, we read books coming in. This is a dog story. It's not about, you know, the big, the midline mission is one piece of Cairo. His name was released in the media. That's all people know Cairo for. There was so much more to Cairo than that one mission. He had been shot before the mission. Um, he, we don't, a lot of missions together, our training together beforehand, the end of his life. Oh man, it's there's a lot more to Cairo than just the one thing, and I, it's, I want everybody to know his story. Did Cairo die with you? Yeah, I don't even want to talk about that because I want to save it because that's in the book, obviously. Yeah, that's a rough part to talk yeah. about. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about that because I want to, I do want to save that for the book. Uh, in fact, I want to listen to it myself over the, the yeah. audio uh, version had- of it happened um i would say the best way it possibly could have happened so at least it happened okay, and he was retired when he passed away he with you yes that's amazing man that what an opportunity you were given you were given the opportunity to 
take Cairo retirement, I'm assuming. I was. I had about a year, and it was a blessing, man. I got to take care of him, and he took care of me. It really was. He had stomach cancer, and cancer is it's terrible. And, yeah, he, he did not look good at the end of his life. He was not good. It was, it, was, it was really good for me to be able to take care of him. Yeah, and I'm assuming he saved part of you. Dude, yeah. of course, man. Having him home, oh, it's huge. How has it been? Like, what's your status now? I'm doing much better. I said that I went to that marine. Like having a home, it was great. Like that's that was one modality. I, I bought a motorcycle with a sidecar and a boat, and we would I would take him out in town in the sidecar, and we'd drive around. It was really good for my well being. Nowadays, I'm I'm doing much better. My migraines are. I think it's all stress. I think a lot of it is stress. Self induced. <laughs> The concussive blast, obviously, the traumatic brain injury, and then the stress. I think all that stuff just, um, well, at least with the migraines. The memory loss, I mean, I don't know. That's way above my pay grade to figure out. We'll let the smart doctors try to help me figure out that. But um, as far as the hair falling out and anxiety and all that stuff, I mean, I know the brain injury has stuff to do with that, but the stress. Um, nowadays, I just try to... Um, he said, improve my diet. I'm not perfect. I'm by, I'm, at least I'm not drinking myself to death anymore and feeling sorry for myself. Are you sober completely? Completely sober. I'll never drink again in my life, ever. So, Awesome. Yeah. I feel guilty drinking this whiskey. No, right you're here. good, buddy. Yeah. Like, I yeah. just I n knew where I was. I remember that feeling of my brain not working well, and now it works. And you made a better. decision. You're like, And I'm like, fuck this. I'm not... If I want to have some fun, I'll figure out another way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to mess up my brain too much more. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, we got to yeah. like preserve what we have left <laughs> Dude, of the <a> jello. <laughs> I don't want to go and get any worse. Yeah, because that's a weird place to be in, man. I mean, there's guys committing suicide in the NFL and in our community, shooting yeah. themselves in the chest saying, study my brain. Yeah. That's fucked. Yeah, it is, man. People don't know. There's not a lot of information about CTE. And there's the, not. And the damage that it's done. And then long-term effects of that. No. And that's it's a terrible thing. I don't, but I mean, I, you know, it's it's a weird position to be in when it's your own brain and you can't figure it out because it's your mind. You're like, what's, yeah. I used to be this and now something. At such off. a young age as well. Right. I'm, I'm 36 now, 35. And then I was 30, I think, by the time I got out. Yeah, 30. I was only 30 years old. Wow, man. Wow. It's just so it's a, it's a very, that's why I'm so passionate about it. And you know, it's, it's great to be able to tell Cairo's story and bring attention to these working dogs, but I really want to help other veterans with their brain health. I don't know what capacity that means or what, but I, you know, if, if I can find a good place to plug into and help, then that's, that's what I'm shooting for. When you look at uh, all the things that you have going on, let's talk about some of the places that people can find you, the book, um, um, websites or anything that you have where people can get kind of tuned into your status? Uh, they should be able to pick up the book anywhere. You know, Amazon's obviously, um, as far as social media, no ordinary dog book on Facebook and Instagram is what we go with. That's, uh, that's pretty much it. I'm not a huge social media guy. Yeah. You know, but I'm getting better. Yeah. You're, you got a personal one too, right? I have a personal one, Will Cheese with three E's, but, um, yeah, I check that as much as I can. I'm, I apologize for not being 
for the people out there. I don't check my social media as much as I should, but yeah, I'm on, I'm on that one as well. But the No Ordinary Dog book on Facebook and Instagram is uh, which and it's out right now. It's out right now. Yeah, audio. I read the I narrated the audio book. So if you want to hear my voice, my monotone voice even more, you can go listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good voice, man. It's a good voice for TV, man. You got to have right. that voice. Um, I, I think it's cool because not many people with experience, real experience, have written books about dogs. Yeah. Um, it's so rare. And dogs save lives every day. Dude. Yeah. Not That's only in operations, <laughs> but just outside of that too, right? Every day. I mean, I say it all the time. Like, this brings attention to the working dogs. I mean, just the stuff that we've seen. Yeah. I mean, people know about that. It's crazy. And then the cops. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dogs lose their lives. The canine cops lose their lives all the time. And then uh, service animals, search and rescue dogs. Like you said, man, these dogs do amazing things. A lot of people just don't even realize, oh, it's just a dog. But just think about the bond that you have with your dog at home. Think about how much you love your dog at home. Yeah. Now multiply that by your dog literally almost dying for you and then getting to do hundreds of missions and yeah it it's a it's pretty cool man it is amazing man it's amazing that relationship we have it's pretty cool and even the dogs now get me through a bunch of stuff like cairo died i had a dog named hagen and uh she got me through that hard time she passed away at six all of a sudden not too long ago she just died what happened something attacked her thyroid she died she was acting weird and by the end of the night, she was dead. Oh my gosh! It was crazy. The dogs that I have now, I got two males. They, they you know, I loved her a lot. Uh, they got me through that. You know, dogs can get you through some pretty tough times. I have a a dog, a service dog named Pearl, that was given to me by the original breeder who imported dogs like Vinny, like Spido, to the special operations yeah. community. And he gave me this dog named Pearl. And I was going through a hard time. And um, my crazy ex at the time didn't realize kind of the circum. You know, I say I'm, she's crazy. I was crazy. But she she didn't have enough empathy for me to understand my circumstance. And I don't gotcha. blame her because I was batshit at yep, the time. I understand. On Ambien and Trazodone and all the stuff VA gives you. Yep. And Pearl from Labs for Liberty after she was trained was given to me at the right time because if she wasn't given to me, I don't think I would have made it through that time. Yeah. And that was about 2015 where I had hung up the Army, hung up uh, the CIA contract and stuff, and so I had lost all purpose. And she got me through that transition to get back on my feet to start this company. Nice. Um, so, yeah, man, they That's save lives huge. every day. Yes, Kevin, do. with Vinny, who's named after the dog that saved right. my life, he was on the same objective, uh, which is uh, Objective Ladonia in Iraq. Uh, I could see already how he's transitioned out of the military and how beneficial Vinny has been really? for him. Yeah. As a companion, as a service dog that helps with physical disabilities, it's so important, yep. man. I mean, even just sleep alone, that's another huge one. Yeah. Sleep is huge. Knowing that I have a Malinois that'll wake me up in the middle of the night if anything comes. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought that about warm that. Warm and fuzzy. I don't always yeah. have a pistol on me these days. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, that's a good point. I, you know, uh, Pearl was trained to watch my back if I was like checking out in an aisle or going through something, you know, in a grocery store. She would watch my six. Yeah. When you're in the military and special operations, that's done for you. Right. 
you always have your back. You, you know you got, yeah. You got somebody watching your back, <laughs> yeah. right? And you get out and that's completely gone. Yeah. Um, any last thoughts before we, before we check out? I mean, I really, I, I really do appreciate you having me on, man. I thought this was a great podcast. I just, um, I want to say thank you and thank you to everybody out there for the, for the good feedback. Like I said, I only one shot at doing this and it's important to me and the feedback has been really good. Like people really have been loving the book and I'm, it makes me happy to see that, you know, I really appreciate it. No, thanks Will for coming on, man. I want to do my best to promote this. Uh, um, we'll go out of our way to make sure that we spread the word uh, in every means possible because not only is it important for the education of people to understand what dogs do, but also the situation and circumstance that a lot of our brothers are going to be in. I mean, our peers yeah. are serving in special operations right now. Right now. And they have no idea what they're going to face when they transition. And we need to be prepared for that and do everything that we can possible to make sure they're taken care of. I would love to, if that's what God's plan is. Yeah. Thanks so much, Will. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.